Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddies where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And ignorance is our ammunition. This is a very special episode because, as everybody knows, we live in a time vortex world and there's no Zach at dusk. But it's not dusk this time. It is bright as day, new movie, in theaters, we're all excited about it, and Zach is here. But I think he's inverted? Is that the case? That this is kind of, you saw it 50 years ago and we recorded this, what, 20 years ago or something like that? Can we even parse through how time is working right now or is that just a, a futile endeavor <laughs> what happened was i recruited rob to cinemodies 20 years into the future ah. when he's when he's vernon chapman and now we're finally at the cross point we are at the tenant point as we interlock our fingers and we're both simultaneously blowing up the restaurant and rebuilding it at the same time <laughs> that's what i was about to say the restaurant the bottom of the restaurant is, is exploding <laughs> while the top is rebuilding exactly yeah. <laughs> Oh man, so I think this is this is just, you know, uh, we have to get into it. This is all about Tenet, Christopher Nolan's new film. We got to see it in theaters. It it was the what the first time in months that either of us have been to theaters. It's probably the longest time I've not been to a movie theater in my entire life, like prior to being a child. Oh, yeah, that's that's a good there, for Zach. It was from birth to the first time he went to the movie theaters, and then from last time to Tenet. What what was the last time? Cats? You went to the theater? No, Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems. That's right. That's that right. time where I got to see Adam Sandler like in a neck brace <laughs> talking to Jason Bateman in a diner. Hard to believe that's the last time I was in a movie theater. If only I <laughs> if only I knew in that moment, folks. On February 12th, that would be the last time before the world blew up. Remember, folks, you ever see Adam Sandler in a, in a neck brace? That's an omen that something bad's going to happen to all of us. Just make note of it. It might be important later on. Okay, okay. So so uh, I, I think this is going to be, you know, we'll probably break it up. I think like we've done with other new movies that we've discussed, how frequent, infrequently it comes around, where we'll, we'll kind of talk about the movie in general, and then I'm sure we'll get into spoilers and stuff like that, even though I kind of... You know, I think this – you, you – I don't know if there's a lot of spoilers for this movie. I could literally give away the ending to this movie right now, and it would not mean anything to anybody <laughs> who hasn't seen it. Yes, that is that is a very good they point. Take, I'm going to give away the ending right now, and no one's going to care because I, I have context. It makes no sense. Uh, the protagonist, they dis, uh, Quicksilver dismantles a giant metal log thing, gives it to the protagonist and Robert Pattinson, and says, go to different corners. I, that's the ending, right, Rob? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that and, doesn't uh, mean anything. That do, that literally means nothing. The only way I would I would improve that, I think, is that the protagonist takes apart the algorithm. <laughs> 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 because the the giant metal log that Zach described is the algorithm. <laughs> yes, it is. And the algorithm is in nine parts, but for some reason they split it into three. Which may... okay. Like I said, Rob, I think we could literally break down the plot of this and it wouldn't make any difference because when you're watching this movie, you will not be able to hear a single line of dialogue. <laughs> okay, okay. So so I think I wanted to start. There, there's so much, of course. We got, we got Rob and Zach together talking about Christopher Nolan. I think that's where I want to start. 
I believe, Zach, this is the first Christopher Nolan movie we're focusing on on Cinemodities ever, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. now that I think about it. They've yeah. all come up tangentially, like we've talked about Inception, Interstellar, Dark Knight. I think, like, Memento has probably popped up for some reason. But this is the first one we're actually focusing on. And to that point, I one of my issues with, with Tenet, I really wish this movie was called Inversion. Because as everybody knows, every single Christopher Nolan movie starts with the letter I. We would have Inversion, Inception, Interstellar, Insomnia, In the Dark of the Night, In the Dark of the Night Rises, I Left My Heart in Dunkirk, In the Beginning of Batman, In Mementorium. What am I missing? Uh, uh, Oh, God. What's one for the... No, The Prestige. Uh, I deserve the prestige. That's what Christopher Nolan would say, right? <laughs> and then uh, I guess, and then I guess I'm following. <laughs> yes. So, so I I did want to mention because um, I, I think I said to Zach before we saw Tenet, uh, I was trying to watch all of Christopher Nolan's movies before seeing Tenet, and I did not accomplish this task. I I did not watch Batman Begins because I just did not want to see it. I did not watch Dunkirk again because I was like, eh, you know, I've seen it once. I'm good. And I have to say, though, Zach, I watched the first hour of Interstellar. (laughs) The best part of Interstellar that doesn't include the Tesseract. And all the others, though, I I did go back to. Some, you know, I just kind of watched passively with on in the background. I before we get into Tenet, I did want to ask you, Zach, because I don't think we've ever talked about it before together on recording or not. Have you ever seen Insomnia? Yeah, I saw it back when we were like when you and I had like our hard on for uh, Inception. Okay, so I I saw it a while ago, and I remember I didn't really care for it. On this rewatch, I actually really enjoyed it. What are your thoughts on Insomnia? If you remember anything about it, I've not watched it in over ten years. I remember not liking it. I remember just kind. Of, I find it a very frustrating movie. Uh, much like the end, I think Al Pacino goes insane by the end, and that's kind of how I was feeling. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I, again, it's been ten years. I'm a very different person as a film goer since then, so mm-hmm. maybe I would like it because uh, because that's Al Pacino, Robin Williams, Hillary Swank, Hillary Swank. That's who it was. Yep. I was gonna say Michelle Rodriguez. I'm like, there's no way Michelle Rodriguez is in a Christopher Nolan film. <laughs> um, yeah, Hillary Swank. Thank you. Yeah, it's not. I was actually surprised. That was one of the ones I thought that I was going to be like, you know, eh, on. But it's uh, it was it was better than I expected. So I so, guess yeah. I, well, one thing I want to give our audience because again, we've never talked about Christopher Nolan directly, and I guess to give aud- the audience a little bit of context, I think we should give what our favorite Christopher Nolan film is oh, not the best, but what sure. our favorite is. Okay, okay. I think the audience knows already what mine is because Rob Rob just constantly brings it up. <laughs> And I, I think if you if you're an uh, a astute listener to Cinemodities, you know what my favorite is. But of course, mine is Inception. I figure I figured Inception, but mine is Interstellar. Yes, yes, the, the greatest space movie ever made. I I have to say I I think it's been said on this podcast before, but especially rewatching Inception um, prior to seeing Tenet, um, which you know I, I maybe it's been like a year year and a half since I saw Inception. I. I know Zach and I, we have our disagreements about both Inception and, and Interstellar. I know Zach likes to say Inception is the movie that just stops dead in its tracks to explain things. I love that aspect about it, and I really appreciate that Inception, I have started to understand it as Christopher Nolan explains things for two hours 
so you can appreciate four minutes of a van falling off a bridge. <laughs> like, that is, like, a bodybuilder of a movie. Like, he does so much work to make a shot of a slow-motion van make sense, and I really appreciate that. If only he applied that same principle to Tenet. <laughs> if only. This, this is the opposite. You know what? Tenet is the inversion of that. If only he had get, devoted as much time in Tenet as he did in Inception to explaining time to help us appreciate a van falling off a bridge, that we could appreciate two guys running into an art gallery in an airport lounge yes. as a plane crashes into it. Same amount of time is devoted to it all. If only we understood the importance of it. <laughs> Oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. So anything you want to say about Interstellar? I, I won't, we won't get into, uh, I won't fight with you too much, but, uh, you know. No, I, I got nothing. Okay. I, like I said, I, I think it's just a matter of giving people a perspective where we're coming from. Sure, sure. I think that's all it is. I think, I, I think if you like Interstellar, you know where I'll be coming from. Mm -hmm. And if you like Inception, you know where Rob is coming from. I think it's just a, it's just a matter, it's a, give, give the audience a bearing on us. Yeah, yeah, that, that's fair, that's fair. So, so like I said, we both got to see this in theaters, not together, you know, this wasn't an, an Avengers Endgame experiment or anything like that, but uh, probably, you know, we both braved the theaters probably by the time, you know, this comes out and you're listening to it, or maybe you're listening to this episode after you've seen Tenet, who knows when that is. Zach and I are both dead, we have the COVID. Yes, yes, we're, we, we're quarantining right now, and by the time you're hearing this, we are both muerte. Yeah, my at the at the time of this recording, I saw it a little less than a week ago. My sense of smell is gone. I, I can barely <laughs> breathe. So, so we're just. I'm recording this live through a respirator, much this... like our characters in the film. <laughs> yes, yes. They put masks on in the film. It's so relatable. I, I, okay, I okay, okay. We'll get to that because that drove me nuts. I, I, again, there's a there's a lot. Okay. Oh yeah, there is. A yes. lot. So I, I guess I there's... guess like I, I was trying to set up. We saw it in theaters. I figured we'd want to talk about not only our theater-going experiences, but the, the return to a theater, like we were mentioning. And I have to say that I absolutely loved it. You know, I not only wanted to see Tenet, I wanted to go back to a theater. And I got to see it with uh, Justin and Heather, uh, Justin who couldn't make it today. I think a little later on we'll put in a blurb of his thoughts. But I got to see it with them, and before we went to see the movie, I said to Justin, you know, I want one thing more than anything out of this movie. I want it to be ungodly loud because I, I love loud. I've been dying, you know, not seeing movies in theaters, not being able to go to concerts and have my eardrums blown out during this whole, you know, quarantine and stay at home stuff. I wanted this movie to be loud and oh man, did I get that? I got it so much. And <laughs> there was like some parts right at the beginning of the movie. I think like Heather was like covering her ears and I'm just like, take it all in man like damage my eardrums i was just reveling in it <laughs> there are only two tragedies in life not getting what you want and getting what you want this is definitely the latter of that so so i uh i definitely enjoyed the theater going experience um there was you know definitely some social distancing but uh i, I think zach will get into that more with his experience because i like i said i saw it with other people so i uh had to sit next to Justin the whole time, and he uh, smells weird. But other than that, it was fine. You know, uh, there wasn't too crowded. I think they weren't selling too many tickets to where I saw it in Fort Collins. But overall, it was it was a good return to the theater experience, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know when next time it'll happen. So, so Zach, how was yours? Do you do you have something to complain about? Because remember, not only on Cinemodities, but Knights of Vader, there's always a problem, whether it be people chewing too loud or what the the people doing sign language erratically constantly in front of you oh yeah that was a thing that happened 
I lose track. There needs to be, there needs to be a special column in the spreadsheet for Zach's yes. movie going experiences. So how did it go this time? Well, it should be noted that I did not because I live in the horrible, horrible state of New York and everything is still shut down because we have an emperor, not a governor. And so I had to drive an hour to Connecticut to go see this movie, but it was worth it. Cause I got to go see it in IMAX. So imagine what Rob heard at level 10 dialed up to 11. Oh, yeah. And so to be fair, only bad things happen at the Galleria movie theater. That's mm-hmm. the place where like everybody who's a horrible audience member, they flock to that theater. They always know the exact showing and time I'm going to. So no. So I drove an hour to Connecticut. Uh, because of social, because of like, I guess, reserve seating, I didn't have to worry about anything. But then I knew because when I first told Rob about this, because I, we found, I found out about this and told Rob about it. I'm like, Rob, tenants give you in theaters like in four days. And he's like, what? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and so like, they originally released this as like a preview screening for like August 31st, September 1st and 2nd. I tried getting tickets to every single one of those and I couldn't because the seat that I would find ideal was always unavailable, mm-hmm. not because somebody bought it, but be- bought that particular seat, but because if like one person bought a seat, the entire theater shut down or the entire like auditorium was booked out. And so I was like, nope, I'm not driving an hour and spending $20 to get a seat that I don't want. So I ended up seeing it yesterday at 8:45 at night in the seat I wanted. And folks, Social distancing is horrible. It doesn't do anything. It's a waste of time. All these rules aren't going to save you. But when it comes to the movie going experience, social distance is the greatest goddamn thing that has ever (laughs) happened to Zachary. This is not a joke because I got my seat and I basically had a buffer of like two seats all around me, both forward, behind, left and right. Nobody came near me. It was delightful. Like, in all honesty, if this is the silver lining to COVID in, in social distancing, I'll take it. I love this. I don't want this to end when it comes to the movie-going experience because I didn't have to worry about any mouth breather up my ass. Yep. And and I have to say, I, my theater was pretty full. Uh, it was an IMAX showing on a Friday night, so that's not too surprising for, like, the first big – well, one of the first big movies. I guess we're not counting Unhinged and New Mutants' big movies Mm. um so no it was pretty full and i i don't have any complaints actually about the movie going experience other than like i walked in they made me like change the stupid thing i had around my mask my mouth um but that's just a symptom of the times nothing really for that particular theater but uh no i i was i was happy i guess i should say because obviously i have not been on cinematis in months that uh where i work i actually work right next to the infamous galleria movie theater and it kills me that after all the years i had to beg borrow and steal to get to that movie theater i literally work within walking distance of it and i cannot go to a movie it kills me folks it genuinely kills me but Maybe one day our illustrious supreme leader of New York will actually allow the movie theaters to reopen. But uh, just one thing I do want to say about this all like stupid social distancing, all the dumb rules we have now is that I find it fascinating that they force you to wear a mask throughout the runtime of the movie. But if you're eating or drinking, they allow you to take it off, which I find fascinating because when you're eating and drinking, you are spraying millions upon millions of little particles of saliva into the air inherently, uh, negating the effects of wearing a mask as you breathe through your nose i don't get it i know in the pre-recording rob and i discussed it he doesn't get it 
Uh, but any sort of false sense of a security blanket that helps you sleep at night, fine. But uh, just know that it's not doing you any favors. So uh, with that being said, uh, I have nothing else to say about my theater going experience other than one mouth breather that every single time something happened in the <laughs> film that related, that related to something that happened earlier, he physically like fingered the screen. Um, and that happened at least, I'd say, I don't know, eight to ten times. Okay. Other than that, respectful audience. Nobody guffawed. Nobody giggled at everything. It right really on. was. Like in all honesty, to be fair, maybe somebody could have been laughing at the screen. It was just so loud that there's a possibility that I didn't hear it. Sure. Um, to be fair, I couldn't hear the actors in the movie talk. So why would I hear the people <laughs> in the theater talk? So, yeah. Um, Christopher Nolan, folks, he's made a dozen movies and he still doesn't know how to properly mix the audio. Oh yeah, I, I guess speaking of that and the loudness, um, I I definitely had some issue hearing certain things in the movie, but it wasn't as bad as I was expecting. Like I actually, I I guess we'll get into it as we go through more of the movie. But you know, there there was definitely you know a good portion of this movie where I was like, okay, I understand things, I know what they're doing, why they're doing them, and then there's a certain scene where the movie just like takes a huge left turn, and I'm just like, I have never been more confused in my <laughs> life. <laughs> yep. But I guess we have to say, since new movie, right off the bat, new Christopher Nolan as well. Zach and I are uh, fresh off of it. Zach's a little fresher than I am. Well, what did we think? Zach, what did you think of Tenet now that it's fresh in your head? All right. I, I've been thinking long and hard about this. I actually came up with this analogy about halfway into the movie. Okay. Um, and considering that we're the purveyors of a uh, restaurant that yes. totally exists in Times Square, it's – this is how I've described – tenant tenant is like a cake that you're baking in your oven and you, you 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 put the batter in you mix it you put it into the cake pan you put it into the oven you let it cook in the oven for i don't know five minutes take it out just to the point where the outside is formed mm -hmm. then you put it together but the moment you do anything to even slightly like cut into it it's just globs of uncooked cake mix. <laughs> okay. So, like, and you eat it because it looks good. Like, you're like, okay, like, sure, the inside is barely cooked, but it can't be that bad. And as you're eating it, it's mush. Like, it's not formed at all, but it tastes fine. It tastes like a cake. And that's what this movie is. Like, it, I'm on the outside, it looks very pretty. But the moment you bite into it or do anything to even slightly kind of just play with it, it falls apart. But it gives you what you want. Like you want a bite of something sugary sweet, and it gives you that. That is a that is a really good analogy. I, I like it. And I, I say that I would agree. Um, when, when we finished – when the movie ended, I was kind of conflicted because, one – I, I think it's it's one of the most visually enthralling things I've ever seen. Like, I loved a lot of the visuals. I loved a lot of the action. And I was really, really into watching this movie. But at the same time, the the premise of inverting objects and, and the ways that they describe it and what they do, I would describe as incredibly goofy. <laughs> and I was, I was so conflicted because I, I could not stop watching it, and I loved watching it. But at the same time, I think this goes to your, your cake analogy. I was just like, every time they tried to explain something about this technology of inversion, I was just starting to question it. But the, you're, you're right. I, I think the way I was thinking about it is every time you started to get bogged down or started to think about, you know, the 
maybe logistics or the the fundamentals or the background on time travel and the way this movie does it with inversion, the movie knows to switch back to an action scene. Like, this is... You know how we said don't think about it for the Marvel movie? This is like the don't worry about it movie, I would say. Like, Christopher Nolan's like, don't worry about it. It's fine. But But this is the problem with this movie, though, is that, like, this movie... On a screenwriting level, feels like a spec script written by a first-year screenwriting student. That's exactly what I was gonna say. That this movie, like the, it's it's like a first-year college student wrote it. That's exactly what I was thinking because every time there's some explanation, it's just like once again, Christopher Nolan is like, yeah, here's some big words people vaguely know, and we can <laughs> just make it work. Like the the movie more so than I was expecting, very quickly introduces the technology of inversion and explains it when Science Lady shows up. And Science Lady... (laughs) there's There's only like four women in this movie. One of them is Science Lady. And Science Lady tells us that they think inversion is a type of radiation that reverses an object's entropy. And immediately I'm like, entropy is a measurement. That's like saying you're inverting something's length. That makes no sense. So Christopher Nolan is just... And then Robert Pattinson is describing what the algorithm does, and he's just like, yeah, quantum entanglement time doesn't conflicts and it blows up, and it's not good, you know? And I'm like, oh my god, this is like... This is the algorithm. 241 is one section of it. One out of nine. It's a formula. Runs into physical form, so it can't be copied or communicated black box one function which is inversion not objects or peoples the world around us as you understand as they invert the entropy of more and more objects the two directions of time becoming more intertwined because the environment's entropy flows in our direction we dominate they're always swimming upstream it's what saved your life inverted explosion was pushing against the environment pissing in the wind and the algorithm can change the direction of that wind. It can invert the entropy of the world. And if that happens? Oh. End of play. This is like, a, like, like you said, a college kid wrote it. And that's why I'm conf- I was conflicted because it's so goofy. I don't want to say stupid. I, I don't think it's stupid because, of course, inversion doesn't exist. And Christopher Nolan, as we learned from Inception, he feels the need and the prestige he feels the need to describe the way science fiction things work. He's not the person that just goes by it. He always needs to jam in some explanation. So I don't want to call it stupid. I call it goofy. I, would, I don't think it's stupid. I think the execution is... Okay, I agree it's goofy, but I think the execution of it is stupid. I th- and I think stupid is a very ineloquent word to use. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's stupid because he's trying to explain it John, what John David Washington's our main character. Yes, and a Denzel couple times Jr. Like, yeah, <laughs> yes, and so he'll sit there like blink at the screen and be like, "What?" And Robert Pattinson will be, be like, "Don't worry about it." And I'm mm-hmm. like, "That's such a cop out of an answer." And I'm like, "That's what I don't get, though." Like, this is the same guy. Rob, Rob made fun of me for this a couple weeks ago. I was talking to him about Inception, and I'm like, "Rob, there's a point in Inception where you're two hours into the movie." And Leonardo DiCaprio literally hit pulls the emergency brake to describe to Ellen Page what something's happening two hours into the movie. Yes, yes. And I'm like, 
And I'm thinking about that while watching this movie. And I'm like, how is this the same person? How is this the same person mm. 10 years later? Who, like, even though I make fun of Inception for all its expository, like, hard stops, there's nothing confusing about Inception. Like, Inception lays everything out maybe a little too much, but there's nothing confusing about it at the end of the day. Sure. Other than, other than the intentionally ambiguous ending. And this is like you're watching this and like nothing makes sense. It's not explained properly. And when they do try to explain it, the sound mixing is so horrible. You just have to give up halfway through and just be like, it doesn't matter. Things are going backwards up until a point where they actually have to start color coding the people going forward and backwards to make you understand it. It's like, oh, red means forward, blue means backwards. To the point where certain characters have red watches, other ones have blue watches, other ones are in rooms lit with red light, other ones are in yep. rooms lit with blue light, other ones have like red patches, other ones have blue patches. And I'm like, I, I get it, like show not tell. Yep. I respect that. But you can't then have expository breaks that end with <laughs> it doesn't matter. And I'm like, no, F this. I'm like, you know, it's like, I don't get it. Like, this is the same guy that made Dunkirk. And you know, I'm not thrilled with Dunkirk as a movie. I respect the fact that he's able to weave all those narratives Mm -hmm. into one, like, streamlined plot thread by the end of the film. Yeah, yeah. And yet you have this where just nothing, like, nothing, like, nothing connects neatly. And it's like, and I'm not sure maybe it's because I need to rewatch it a few more times. Maybe if I could understand a single thing the character said, I would be able to understand the plot better. Um, like, I, like Rob and I were joking before this, like we were talking about like movies that we would like spend $20 for like a VOD experience, kind of like Mulan or Bill and Ted 3. Yeah. And I was like, I would easily have spent $20 for a subtitle track to be placed over the movie halfway through. <laughs> But no, I, I, I going back to the the plot device, uh, the science fictiony plot device. I think it's. I think to call it half baked would be kind. I would. Mm-hmm. I think. I think somebody had an idea for let's do time travel in an unconventional way, and they just said the hell with it. We'll figure it out as we go along, and never devoted even a fraction to the amount of time that they devoted to like the dream machine mm. that they did inception which i don't even think what, what is we're not even told what the dream machine is in inception it's just like oh it's a dream machine they don't even give it a name the most they tell us is that like the military developed it for training but there's no like di- there's no explanation of you know what chemicals are in there how it works type of thing it's just that it, yeah. you know it exists and it exists for these reasons and then when you're in the dream these are the the way things work that's what it is though but like you watch Inception and you really – the mechanics of the world are explained. Yes. And yet I would rather like, – even though it, when it comes to filmmaking, it's always show, not tell. I would rather have a movie over-explain its intricacies than just not explain them. And when it does explain them, just tell you don't worry about it and then dial up the sound mixing up to 11. <laughs> Well, I, I think the the thing that blew me away is, you know, when I was I was thinking about these exact same things that you're describing, Zach, after I saw the movie, like I said at, at, at my intro at the start of this, they say many times in this movie, ignorance is our ammunition. And I just imagine <laughs> that Christopher Nolan is trying to explain this movie to people, and he's saying that to them, like in the writing oh, yeah. room, in the pitch meetings. And to further that, I wanted, I was blown away after seeing this movie. I made this connection um, when I was talking to Justin afterwards, when Neil, so Robert Pattinson, is describing his plan to drive the plane into the hangar to uh, our main character, 
and they they go to um what's his name the fixer I, I don't remember his name in the movie um but they're like the three of them are talking about you know how they're gonna fly this plane into the hangar and the fixer's like oh we're gonna do this to get the crew off we're gonna we're gonna drop these gold bars so they think it's like a, a heist or something and all this stuff all this exposition of the plan and our main character says to them that's bold and the fixer says I'll take bold I thought you were gonna say nuts. Christopher Nolan had to say that to a producer at some point where he explains this movie and the producer goes, this seems bold. And he goes, bold is good. I thought you were going to say I'm crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that's the thing about this movie is that like, as I was watching it, I, I, a couple of times, not that you zone out, but like stuff happens that like, there's a part where there, uh, there's a word for the, it, it's a sport. I don't know what it's called when they're on the sale thingy and they're in there. It's, Kenneth Branagh, John David Washington, and whatever her name is. I, I she was in Great Gatsby. Yeah, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Debicki. Yep. And they're like they're doing. Something. I couldn't hear a single word they were saying. <laughs> I could not hear a single word they were saying. So yeah, that I, was I started rough, to, that scene. I, I started to tune out, and I started to think, I'm like, if COVID nineteen didn't happen, and this got released as like the big like Warner Brothers tentpole, like at the end of July. I'm like, there's no way this movie would have clicked with audiences. Mm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like, there's no way. Like, everybody forgets that, like, we all, like, it's like, I know Rob and I have talked about it a little bit. I know at one point before I decided to go MIA, we were going to do a summer 2010 series. And I was really, like, again, I think back to Inception and how much money that movie made that summer 10 years ago. Yep. And that movie, like, it made money, but, like, it didn't, like, it, like worldwide it did really well. But, like, domestically, it made less money than, like, Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> it made less money than Toy Story 3. Like, it did not, like, in the U.S. and I guess Canada, because that's considered North America, that movie did not make as much money as people remember it did. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's no way this this movie, and that's why this movie's not getting really it's getting good reviews because it's a Christopher Nolan movie, but it's not getting as glowing reviews as your Dunkirk, yeah, your your yeah. other films, because it's a very inaccessible film. Oh yeah, and and so I'm kind like and so like I know Rob and I were talking before we saw this. We're like, oh, isn't it interesting? Like kind of like the dichotomy of like Warner Brothers is taking their big like like tentpole and they're throwing it into a very uncertain box office arena. Whereas Disney is like doing an equally audacious thing, but in a very different direction. We're like, we're going to take Mulan, our $200 million film, and we're going to put it on our streaming service and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Both are very, very audacious maneuvers, but in two distinct different directions. And yet, with Tenant, I think it's much less audacious than what Disney's doing with Mulan because I don't think Tenant was ever going to break out. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I, I've, from what I've been reading, you know, it, it seems to be very polarizing, which makes a lot of sense given the, the nature of the movie, as we've been describing, as I'm sure we'll describe more. And, and I totally agree with you that, you know, this is, this is something that even, you know, for like uh, Justin, Heather, and I, you know, we, we enjoyed it. I think for the most part, but the big thing was like, we would need to see that again to even begin to follow some of those scenes. That's, and I think that might be the plan that Warner brothers is thinking about with this is that it's a movie that's going to beg for repeat viewings. Mm -hmm. So maybe they felt like 
putting this into theaters is the inaugural film post well I don't know if we can say post COVID, but post quarantine that maybe it'll get a lot of repeat viewings and it's gonna ease people. You'll get the fanatics like Rob and I that will go out no matter what. Yeah. And then we'll go back and bring friends that are a little bit more hesitant to be like, oh no, everything's fine. And that's maybe the way they'll ease people back into the water. So when Wonder Woman comes out, hopefully the next month or two. That will make them a bunch of that'll be more of a slam dunk as opposed to what this will do. But getting back to just like how the 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 plot and mechanics of Tenant, I just I remember back when again when Rob and I had our major hard on for Inception right after high school. I remember there was an interview with Christopher Nolan, and he like he's like I don't think people give audiences enough credit for figuring out figuring out intricate plots. And with Inception, I get I get why that might be jarring to some people but i think as long as you pay attention in inception nothing's gonna go over your head you just have to be very engaged with the plot yeah yeah and then i don't know what happened to christopher nolan after inception because <laughs> that was right after inception was dark knight rises and that's when he had this weird thing with tom hardy in the sound mixing where he deliberately made tom hardy like inaudible mm-hmm. and Inception, he he didn't do that in Inception. He didn't do that in The Dark Knight. He didn't do that in The Prestige. He didn't do that in Batman Begins. Yet after, well, starting with The Dark Knight Rises, pretty much every single one of his films has the, I'm going to turn the sound mixing and editing up and drown out the dialogue. Yep. And I don't get why he does that. And I know I remember reading in interviews with The Dark Knight Rises. He's like, oh, I want Bane's actions to communicate his intentions more than his words. And I'm like, if that's the case, then don't have him talk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't I don't get it either because, you know, uh, like you said, you know, he, he says audiences don't get enough credit for being able to figure out complicated plots that uh, that might be true. But you can't give them something that they're not going to hear because people are going to think they're supposed to hear it. And I think that's the complaint from a lot of people where they're like, well, if there is dialogue, I should be able to understand it, right? Exactly. And that's – and I don't get why he keeps doing this. Um, and again, it would be one thing like if he was a filmmaker that believed that you can watch stuff on television, but – He's one of these people that believes in the theater-going experience. He's one of the few. He's up there with Jimmy C. As in, like, the theater-going experience is everything. Mm -hmm. And yet he's making it very difficult to appreciate his films in a theater. Like, I know I will inevitably buy this on Blu-ray at some point, and I will never watch this film without the (laughs) subtitle track. Yes. And that's the thing, is that, like, he's making it very hard to do that. Because, like, if somebody wanted to go see this movie, I would tell them, like, I went and spent the $20 for the IMAX experience, and I would not go back and see this in IMAX. I would go and see this possibly, like, in the worst theater for base I could find. And that's how I would want to see it because the a properly what calibrated audio system I don't want to say kills this movie mm-hmm. but it drowns out the exposition and that is the god the bane pardon the pun of this film's <laughs> existence yeah yeah you are you are not wrong uh like I said I, I think I had it a little better than Zach uh from the IMAX, you know non IMAX experience but you are definitely not wrong it was still present when I saw it and you know I think it was most present, the, the two cases that I can think of, um, the opening scene when everybody has gas masks on, 
Like, I remember, I think, what, they, like, the main character rescues the dude, and then there's just two people in gas masks talking, and it's like, <laughs> and then they open a box, and there's an another box in it, and I'm like, oh, okay. And then, <laughs> and then there's the, the scene that I want to talk a lot about, but um, there's the scene where everybody's going forwards and backwards at the same time, and, like, you're hearing forward dialogue and reverse dialogue, and honestly, I could not tell which was which. And this is after the car chase scene, when they do the, when they do probably my new favorite thing, the stupidest name I've ever heard, but I absolutely love it, the temporal pincer movement. Yes. That scene, I had no fucking idea what anybody was saying, I had no clue what was happening, and I couldn't look away. <laughs> That's the thing about this movie, is that, like, it really is, like, an underbaked cake, because, like, if you really want, again, like, we're starved for cake right now. Yes. And guess what? We had it. It was just mush. Mm -hmm, but at mm -hmm. the end of the day, it's there. It's sugar, flour. It's all the mixings. It's just not in a form that's ideal. But beggars can't be choosers. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's you know, I think that's kind of a, an issue. But I, like you said, like we've both been saying, you know, we're starved for this stuff. And I guess just to, to finish off, you know, I, I did say I was conflicted. I have had, you know, a little, maybe, what, four or five more days since Zach has to stew on this. I still think it's goofy. I still think it's great. But I'm slowly coming around to love it. And I don't want to jump the gun. I think this might be, as we were saying before recording, a true cinemodities movie. And I think I oh, love yeah. it for that oh, reason. 100%. Oh, 100%. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Like, no, there's, like... That's the thing is that, like I, I'd have to rewatch this again. I I know for a fact that I don't love this. Like I walked out of Interstellar like high. Like yeah. I was just like like I I fell in love with Interstellar. Um, I still love Interstellar to this day. I, I that will always be the uh, Christopher Nolan opus to me. But this was just like the ideas are there. Yep. Like this film needed to spend at least another six months to a year going through just draft upon draft until they could get all the bugs out. And that's the thing is that, like, I, I was always interested in this movie, but I didn't know anything about it. And I kind of deliberately stayed in the dark about it for many reasons. And then, like, the final trailer came out. It was really cool. It's like you have, like, like all this weird stuff happening. You have people going forward. You have stuff going backwards. Yep. You have, like, a woman saying, like, the people in the future need us. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. You have the idea of you're not shooting the, the gun. You're catching the bullet. And I'm like, that's great. I'm like – I, I've always been a sucker for movies that have rules that have their own like, inter like intrinsic logic to them. Sure. And then you get to this movie and it begins great. You have the opera seek the opera house sequence where you have all this stuff going on. I'm like, okay, I'm on board. Can't hear a single thing that's going on, other than <laughs> just loud, but I'm on board. Like, I'm like, this is great. And then like we're on a boat and we're explaining like, oh, if you're ever in trouble, just like interlace your fingers and say tenant. And it's like, okay. And then like Five minutes later, he's like in a giant sea windmill and he's just like working out. And then like they give him a vest and they give him a car. Then he goes into like a research facility and he tries entering a code doesn't work. And science ladies like a, a clipboard, a vest will get you in a lot of places, but not here. And he's like, tenant. Yes. And she's like, <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell is this? I'm like, this is slock. Like, this is schlock. Like, this is, like, Roger Corman schlock. Yes, yeah. And I, like I said, I think that's why I'm growing to love it in this weird, goofy way. <laughs> but that's the thing, though, is that, like, if it's, like, schlock, it's way too, like, like, that's the thing. 
you can make fun of Roger Corman schlock as much as you like. It's mm-hmm. straightforward. Yeah, that's, this that's is not straightforward at all because then like Robert Pattinson shows up is not Bruce Wayne. And like I, I was convinced like halfway through this, I'm like, I am so excited for the Batman. I'm like, I was always excited for that because like I just loved like how weird that from what little I've seen of that movie so far or what they've released. I'm like, this looks different. Mm hmm. In a way that like they they don't know what to do with Batman anymore, so they're just doing they're just letting someone have their own take with it. And I'm like, oh, this is how Robert Pattinson became Batman. The executives look the dailies for this, and they're like, oh, he's a suave man with a nice chin. Yep. Boom. And that's what happened. Like that's all it took for him to get Batman was because he he looked suave and he had a good persona. Yeah, that's that's a good point. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, I'm excited for the Batman now. I'm like, that's why I start thinking. I'm like, okay, this, I look forward to that. It makes me think of that scene in the Dark Knight when they some person holds the like the napkin above uh, Aaron Eckert's eyes and they go, "Is Harvey Dent the Cape Crusader?" And it's like, that's all you need is the chin. <laughs> that is. That's all you need to be Batman. Um, and so I again like this stuff keeps happening, and like. At one point, I was watching this. I'm like, oh, this is Inception. But instead of it being Leonardo DiCaprio and Ellen Page, it was Tom Hardy and Ellen Page. And then it's like, oh, wait. Robert Pattinson doesn't know the rules of this world because he's like, at one point, John David Washington's like, oh, I'm going to have to kill you for knowing all this. And I'm like, what? I'm like, that's a weird thing to say to the second person in this movie who's supposed to be, like, the person that knows how to, like, arrange everything. Then, like, we find out that, like, oh, no, Tom Hardy – not Tom Hardy. <laughs> um, Robert Pattinson <laughs> this whole time has been, like, the orchestrator of all this. Yeah. And then Aaron Taylor Johnson shows up out of freaking nowhere. And then at the end we find out – I guess spoilers – I guess that like Robert Pattinson's been orchestrating all this, but then at the very, very end, we find out that he hasn't in that John David Washington has been the one that's been orchestrating all of this from the future. And I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, you're not clever movie. Yep. And that's, that's the thing is that like this movie, it, maybe that's like, I never thought I'd say the words Christopher Nolan schlock, <laughs> but that's what this is. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But it's not intentional schlock, though. Mm-hmm. It's schlock with a lowercase a- like s. I I definitely I wasn't I didn't, I didn't think I thought of the word schlock, but I was definitely kind of you know watching this and thinking about it. I'm like the, I, I was thinking that Christopher Nolan sat down and was like, how do I put the Christopher Nolan crazy sci-fi twist on like a goofy James Bond spy movie? And this is how he did it, you know? It's just it's just kind of off the wall, like underbaked, you know, that type of thing. And and we have all that espionage and globe trotting and stuff like that, and it was it was just something else. I've never seen anything quite like it, I have to say. That's what it is though. It's like a we it's like a Bond movie mixed with a oh god, I wouldn't even know how to describe it. It's like a plot device from like the outer limits. Yeah, it's like I, I, that's what I mean, though, because like you watch the trailers in a way the trailers are almost misleading because they put such a heavy emphasis on the reverse, like time travel element mm-hmm. and that it's a thing in the movie, but it's it's a plot device more than it is. Oh, that's like, OK, Rob, maybe you can because I have a hard time trying to formulate my thoughts on this. Sure. Time travel in this, which I what are we calling it? Inversion. Inversion. Inversion in this is used very, very differently 
than what the dreamscape is used as an in inception. Yes, I, I would say it's only till maybe like the halfway point or a little further when we get our temporal pincer movement stuff when they're just like, we have to fight fire with fire and everything's going backwards and forwards at the same time. That's the thing, though, is that like they're using it as like that's but it's being used. It's like, imagine an inception if instead of the dream machine being used as a plot device, it was also used as like, I don't want to say it's an action sequence because mm. like like obviously the what the George, Joseph Gordon Levitt rotating hallway sequence is an inception our moment where we have John David Washington in the hallway having the reverse fight that is yes. the equivalent that's clearly whether it be Christopher Nolan's intent or it was the marketing department's intent those are on the same levels yet jo- uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt what's with these stupid these people with three names <laughs> jo- Joseph Gordon Levitt fighting a NPC in a rotating hallway is much easier to visually digest and what's going on on a narrative level than what is happening in Tenant during the reverse gunplay sequence. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, there's there, the, the first time we see that fight, because of course we see it twice, because, you know, time travel. Uh, but the first time we see it, it's it's one of those, like I said, those those don't worry about it moments. Like, it looks insane, and it seems like that's the point. Like, don't it, it, you don't know who's going forward, who's going backwards, what the hell's going on. It's just visually enthralling. And it doesn't, you know, capture, like you said, that essence of, well, what is this being done for other than we have to have a fight? Because as they go in the room, this hasn't happened yet, and it's about to happen. And it's just, it's just like, go with it. Don't, don't worry about it type of idea again. It seems like when it comes to this movie, forget that one particular action sequence, but the whole movie, it feels like they had the gimmick first and they built a plot around it. It's like, okay, like you said, Christopher Nolan wants his science fiction-y plot device. And it's like, okay, how am I going to do time travel different? And I'm like, okay, I like you said, the plot device isn't inherently bad. It's just the execution of it that's less than ideal. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's and that's the thing because like we didn't even talk about like the actors in this really like John David Washington is fine. Oh yeah, yeah, I like he kind he he's kind of sleepwalking through this. He's not really he he's asked to play a lesser tier Daniel Craig Bond. Very uh, apathetic or impassive. I found for yes. him. Yeah, yeah. We have Robert Pattinson acting in a completely different movie. Um, we have Elizabeth Debicki just kind of playing love interest with love in quotation marks. One of the four women in this movie. Yes. (laughs) One of the four women in this movie. Again, love interest with the word love in quotation marks. Can I just, can I just say about Elizabeth Debicki? She is so goddamn tall. Oh yeah. Oh no. Whole time I was watching this, I'm like, God, Rob must have like, I hope Rob has a really big hoodie. He can like put over his lap because I'm like, Rob must be so a couple of times. Like we kind of get the like Ted Bundy director stuff where like she's bending over and like you see her rear end a few times. I'm like, God damn it. Rob must have been losing his mind during these moments. There is there. She is. She is very good looking. The only thing she was missing was a cigarette in this movie, but (laughs) we're we're back. We're back to Cinemodity's form. But I I love, like, I love the scene where like she's introduced and and we don't really see her in frame with any other characters until um, she's at dinner with uh, our main character, and they're talking. And there's just there's just a whole fucking discussion about this fake painting 
that is just insane exposition yep. about yep. this universe. Yep. And then and then Sator's goons come up and they like take the wife away. And there's a shot of the goons and Elizabeth Debicki walking through the kitchen. And Elizabeth Debicki has like yep. nine inches on all of the goons. <laughs> and I'm like, this looks so strange. <laughs> it, it does. She's six foot three. Man, that's taller than I am. Oh, but I think. <laughs> But I think they also have her in heels, like, in almost every single scene. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's a conscious decision. Oh, yeah, she is so tall and so lanky, and it's yep. just, it's it's just, like, it's Christopher Nolan visuals. Like, I'm sure he saw her in something, you know, whether it be, what, uh, Great Gatsby, Great Gatsby or... Great Gatsby, Great Gatsby. Yeah, I Gatsby. think there was some other famous thing she was in, I'm forgetting, but um, I'm sure he saw her and it she was She was like, in Guardians of the Galaxy, too. Like, I remember that movie. <laughs> she's the gold. No, because, like, I've always remembered her from Great Gassy because she's the tall woman. Yeah, Jordan. To- yeah. To- yeah. Because Toby Maguire's five foot three and she's six foot three. I remember just being like, <laughs> like, I said, just laughing, like, throughout that entire movie and being like, this is hysterical. Like, Baz Luhrmann has a great sense of humor. And I've always just, I've remembered her ever since then. And anytime I see her in something, I always just, she stands out to me pardon the pun and so she sits there and like he has her in heels the entire movie oh, and yeah. like and then like we have her and like i swear like it's the strangest thing her dynamic with john david washington because like as we all know christopher nolan's never had sex before he does not know what it's like to interact with a woman <laughs> on a romantic level and like there's like i don't want to say there's like a romantic it's the same like Oh, God. I don't know how to describe it. There's one way I know how to describe it. But it's the same, like, male-female interaction that Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway have in Interstellar. Okay. Where, like, there is some attraction there, but there's – but the director doesn't know how to convey it to the audience. Mm, Okay. Not because – because they don't understand it themselves. Okay, I, I see what you, you're saying. You, you know what I'm getting at, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, that's that's kind of one of the things that was, as I was watching this, thinking of it as a Bond movie, you know, the, the very non-Bond thing is that he doesn't really, the main character doesn't get the girl at the end. Like, there's a happy ending for Elizabeth Debicki, but, you know, there's no, like, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I was expecting Robert Pattinson to be like, come in, come in, protagonist, and he's, like, just turning off his comms and having sex with Elizabeth Debicki as yes. the camera, fa- you know, pulls away. Um, but it, because I think that you're right, you know, the Christopher Nolan doesn't really know how to fully form that love interest. And at this, this reverse side of that, he, the thing that I think does succeed with Elizabeth Debicki in this movie is that she is, her dynamic with, uh, Sator, with Kenneth Branagh, that it is so perfectly tense and awkward and like that scene when <laughs> thank he's like you. thank you for saying the word awkward he's like i'm gonna beat the shit out of you with a belt right now and i'm like okay we're doing this this is a excuse scene me. excuse me it's a belt with cufflinks yes he puts the cufflinks <laughs> and i started okay We've made a – I think we've made a joke. Okay, domestic abuse is horrible in real life, but yes. movie world is hilarious. <laughs> the fact I saw him doing that, I'm like, oh, please. Please let him use that as like a weird makeshift version of like – oh, god. Um, nuts, like a brass knuckle. Oh, I'm sure. like, please. Yeah. Like it's like the bougie version of like a nail through a two-by-four. Yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. It's like – I'm like, oh, my god. It's like – 
the more more I think about this, this might be the greatest schlocky. Like the okay, <laughs> it's either the best worst schlocky film ever, or it's the worst best schlocky film ever. I don't know which one it is. It's a, it's one of them, but you know they're both inversions of each other, so it's perfect. exactly exactly. <laughs> Um, I, I, okay. I'm glad we can finally get to Kenneth Branagh. Um, as I was watching this, I, I know in the previews that they show him very infrequently, Mm -hmm. but like, as I started hearing him talk, I'm like, there's no way that they're having him do like a shoddy Russian accent. Like, there's no way. I'm like, no way. This has to be some sort of cover or act. And then add to that, that in the previews for this, this is the preview I was mentioning. We had a preview for Death on the Nile where he's doing another accent. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god. I'm like, please no. And then it dawned on me a third of the way into the movie that he is doing not just the same literal accent, but he's playing the exact same character Kenneth Branagh in Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit with Chris Pine. Oh, it's God. the exact same character. Okay, okay. And, and the whole time I'm watching this, I'm like, did Christopher Nolan not know this? Did Kenneth Branagh not tell him? Like, like I, I just feel like they're, did the whole cast and crew play a practical joke on Christopher Nolan? <laughs> and that's why Nolan was just like, just dump this in the theater so nobody will ever see it. Yeah, it could be. I wasn't. Uh, I was. I'm very aware. I'm sure you're more aware of that Kenneth Branagh stuff. But I definitely, when you know, Sator finally comes on the scene, and it's like, okay, you know, once again, a Bond thing. We have the Russian guy as the villain, and he's doing the heavy Russian accent. And I'm just like, oh man, he's really, he's really just uh, hamming it up with that Russian stuff, and and he goes hard. And even in his his big Bond villain speech at the end, it I just felt like he was going a little extra cheesy with it. <laughs> he actually starts. He actually like he gets so flustered at one point that he actually starts spraying saliva. And I'm like, oh, God. And then he spits on her. I'm like, oh, it's like, fuck you, movie. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, stop it. Like, I used to, okay, everybody knows who listens to the Star Wars podcast that I would make the joke that during The Force Awakens when Dom Hall Gleason is, like, giving his, like, Nazi-esque speech to yep. the troops that if you look closely on Captain Phasma's armor, you can see teeth marks. I would always make that joke to people who don't understand that, like, the, what, what would you call it? The idiot? It's not an idiom, is it? Chewing the scenery? No, um... Expression? Uh, yeah, expression. I, I, not, not really slang, but there's some word for it. Yeah, expression's yeah, probably the best. Expression. Turn, turn of phrase, probably. Turn of phrase, I guess. And that's the thing. Like, I would always use that as a joke to people who didn't get that turn of phrase. And then, like, he starts spraying the audience with saliva. <laughs> and then he's... I'm, I'm like, no. I'm like... Like, uh, the more and more I think about it, like... As an obj- this is one of those weird things that I have a hard time conveying to people, and I would hope that the Cinematis audience is enlightened enough to get this. Like, we're like, I have a partition in my brain when it comes to movies. There's the film lover, and then there's the person that I am that just ha- – I have my own personal taste. Yeah. It's the cinephile and then just the person that loves just sheer just entertainment and spectacle, and yet like – the objective film goer in me is like, this movie's garbage. Like, no, like no one has his head so far up his own ass that either he doesn't care or he's just happy where he is. He doesn't, he just doesn't care. Then there's a part of me that's just like, oh, this is garbage. And I'm like, I admire a Christopher Nolan just being like, this is crap. And I'm putting it out there regardless because I don't care. It's like, as I was watching this, there was one particular movie that I kept thinking of and I just, I couldn't figure out why until 
pretty much the end of the movie where my brain turned off because like Rob said, the temporal pinch move, uh, movement happens and it's just like, you can't hear anything. It's just stuff happening. It's just spectacle. It's, it's almost Michael Bay level. Just like mm-hmm. the plot doesn't matter anymore. Spectacle. Um, and I kept thinking about once upon a time in Hollywood mm, okay. and I was like, Oh, nothing interesting. Like, you know, I like once upon a time in Hollywood. Most people, you'd be hard pressed to find someone that says this is their favorite Tarantino film. Sure. And I think the same can be said for tenant. I think you're gonna be very hard pressed to find a Nolan fan that says tenant is my favorite Nolan film because I think both movies for nine tenths of their runtime are very self-indulgent. They're only they're being made by filmmakers that are held so far in like esteem by audiences and critics. They're beyond reproach. They're doing whatever they want. And it's not until the final act that you finally just like they just blow their wide. Yes. And they're just like whatever. But at least Tarantino knows how to make a climax that everybody can appreciate. Sure, sure. Like I'm watching the end of Tenant, and I'm like, I don't, I, I don't care about any of these characters. I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't care. Like our protagonist literally doesn't have a name. Robert Pattinson is auditioning to be Batman, and we have Elizabeth Debicki spraying suntan lotion on the side of a yacht. <laughs> I'm like, what is happening? It's like, what? Like, what is going on? But at least with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you at least it's grounded in the his was what, what what's the term they keep what Tarantino's new thing he's on now? Uh, uh, oh God, historical re- retelling. Or oh, what's the word? Revisionist history. Thank you, revisionist history of like okay, Manson murders. What would happen that if the Manson clan? Got confused, went to the wrong address. A drunk Leonardo DiCaprio goes out and says, "What's the line that you love so much, Rob? If, if you if you want to smoke weed in a secluded place, fix your fucking muffler." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Bunch of goddamn fucking hippies. What the fuck? Hey, you. What the hell do you think you're doing bringing that noisy hunk of shit around here at midnight? This is a private road, all right? Who are you? And who are you here to see, huh? Nobody, sir. We just got lost and a little turned around. Oh, horse shit. Fucking hippies came up here to smoke dope on a dark road, huh? Next time you want to try that, fix your fucking muffler. Like, that is perfect. Like, Leonardo, a, a drunk, fat Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> making margaritas at 1 a.m. being like, goddamn fucking hippies. Yes. Like, like, that is, like, anybody can relate to that premise. Like, it's late at night, you're just trying to do your own thing, and goddamn hippies show up outside your house. Nobody can relate to a temporal pincer movement where they have no idea the rules and logic of the universe. Yep. Like, that's the problem. Nolan, both filmmakers have their heads up their asses, but Tarantino at least knows how to make a climax that pretty much anybody can relate to. That's a that's a good point. That's a that's a good point because uh, I think you know something. Um, when we get his thoughts dropped in later on, uh, a big thing between Justin and Heather and I after seeing this movie, which Justin loves to do with whoever you know has listened to the episodes Justin's been on, 
he he was definitely trying to understand this movie and trying to get into the like wait you know it's like so it was Robert Pattinson that opens that gate but when they get to the algorithm at the end and he's trying to like parse this out and I'm like I don't think this is the way to discuss this movie because we would need to have the movie in front of us to make any headway <laughs> and and you're right that there's more relatability in oh yeah you know this is Tarantino's ending like you said Once Upon a Time in Hollywood than the just giant spectacle of a a war where we don't even know who we're fighting. Like, there's just people that are fighting against our good guys at the end of, of Tenet, and it's just like, okay, everything's going forward and backwards. Don't worry about it. Just look at it. Pretty much. And that's that's what I'm trying to get at. Because, like, like, how long do you think that final sequence is, Rob? That final, like, what, that's 20 minutes, you'd say, give yeah, or take? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say 20, you know, probably like 30 if you include the, um, the, the planning, and then when they go through the turnstiles to reverse the blue team invert the blue team but the action's probably like a good 20 minutes well intercut with um like you said elizabeth debicki spraying suntan lotion on the ground <laughs> yeah that's a thing that happened that was very funny I, I i remember seeing that in the movie and what he like uh sator's on the phone or he's like eating fruit or something and you just see there's just a shot of her just holding the bottle of, of <laughs> suntan lotion and just squirting it on the ground and i'm like oh okay she's doing something <laughs> Then we get a scene of her actually applying it to his back. Yep. And I'm yep. like, A, why is this happening? Why is this <laughs> happening in the movie? And two, he's about to blow up the universe. Why is he, like, doing this? It's, like, it's it's strange. Like, none of the character motivations make sense. Like, that's the thing. Other than Elizabeth Debicki, nobody, nobody has character motivation other than the plot tells them to have them. Yes, exactly. it's like why is Ke- why is why is the protagonist doing what he's doing because the plot tells him to. Mm-hmm. Why is Robert Pattinson there because he wants to be Batman? Yes. Why is Kenneth Branagh doing what he's doing because he has an infatuation with health and he's very anal retentive? It's like what what kind of motive? Like it's like oh he doesn't want to if he can't have the world nobody can. Mm-hmm. And it's like what and it's like wait. And he got he found pieces of the algorithm like in nuclear storage containers. Well, where'd he get them from? A scientist in the future. Well, why are they sending it back? Because nuclear vaults in the 20th century were the most secure place, except that they're not. And it's like what it's like, what is happening? I'm like, like, could nobody like I I don't get it. And it's like, well, why why does the future want Kenneth Branagh to blow up the future because they're mad about climate change. Like yes. I heard that there was like one line, like that was one line of dialogue, and it's never mentioned again. At the very and, end in his speech, he's like, he's like, they, they, the future does not want because the oceans rose and the ice caps melted, and then I'm, I'm, I'm just like, holy shit! I'm like, aren't we at the end of the movie? And that go that comes like what ten minutes after where they're like he's gonna activate the algorithm and I'm like oh god the algorithm what's that it's gonna end the world how do we stop it we we can't let him kill himself because he has pancreatic cancer and I'm like okay fine <laughs> but isn't there a thing too where he has like they can't just shoot him in the head because his Fitbit is a dead man switch which yes that's because that's a thing that happens Christopher in this Nolan. Movie takes a cue from Spawn the movie because the clown in Spawn, not the clown, I think the dude in Spawn has a dead man switch that when he dies, it's going to activate bombs to blow up America. And in Tenet, when Kenneth Branagh dies, it's a dead man switch to blow up the universe. (laughs) 
Oh my god, Zach, it's so I think I think we're saying we have the exact same opinion on it, but I am really starting to love how absolutely oh no. bonkers this is. <laughs> oh my god, I don't know. I, the only thing though is that like as I was sitting down to this movie, it's like again, I think I told Rob this. It was the idea of like going to see a movie, yep. not knowing anything about it. The being like, okay, I know it's gonna be a good movie though. Then I walked out of it and I'm like, ugh. <laughs> and I'm like, ugh. I'm like, and that's the thing that kind of scares me is that like, even though I, I I don't love Dunkirk, I don't love the Batman movies. At least they're solid entertainment. Yeah. And this is just like this felt like someone who just like didn't care. And I think you can't argue whether they cared or not. I think the directions either was it apathy. Or was it just like, oh God, cynicism? I like I, I, is is it is it apathy or is it cynicism? I don't know. That's a that's a tough one. I I feel I was thinking of it more as like Christopher Nolan was like, what has nobody ever seen in an action movie before? That's what the focus should be. Like the forward reverse, the fighting, the the cars flipping up, the buildings blowing up, getting reconstructed. It seemed like that was the focus. And everything else was just, like you said, underbaked, written by a like a, a first-year college student. Um, the algorithm is the name of a device, which makes no sense. Reverting, inverting entropy. So I, I don't know if it was I, maybe apathy towards certain aspects, but more focus on the visual aspects. That's how I kind of took it. But there's ways of doing that, though, that aren't, like, deliberately that have a very high cost of entry or high barrier oh, of entry. Oh, sure, sure. Like if you want to have reverse action sequences, that's fine. Like that's a great angle to get people into into a theater. But you don't need to make it that overly complex. And yes. if you are going to make it that overly complex and you have to make it understandable, and if this was anybody else, I'd be like, oh, they weren't able to stick the landing. But he did that in Inception. Mm-hmm. Like, so we know he can do it. And, like, I don't know who – I know it was Jonathan Nolan who I think was the co-screenwriter on Inception. Yeah. And I don't know if he was involved with this. And maybe that's the thing, too, is that, like, think about it. When Nolan was making Inception, it was right after The Dark Knight. But probably he had to think these things out in advance because he he didn't have his clout yet. Yeah. And now he probably does. He's probably at a point where he doesn't have to explain himself to anybody. I definitely, I definitely think that. I don't remember seeing Jonathan Nolan's name anywhere. Yeah, uh, neither do this. I. And so he probably was not involved, or if he was involved, it was a very minor way. But I, I definitely think you're right. Where you know Christopher Nolan just has that that ability to be like, this is what I want to do, and you're going to let me do it, type of thing. It's beyond reproach. That yep. and that's the pro and that's the same issue with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Does that film need to be three and a half hours of watching Brad Pitt drive around? <laughs> no, it does not. But like it's it's at a point where like, oh, who's gonna tell Quentin Tarantino no? Yeah, exactly. It's like, do we need the scene of uh, Margot Robbie seeing herself in the movie when she goes to the theater? Probably not, because she's not the one who's gonna die at the end. <laughs> but the thing though is that like Tarantino is setting out to make a very specific thing. He yes. he's trying to capture a mood of a, t- a specific time and place. This is a I don't even again. It's a science fiction espionage film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
that has a very heavy-handed plot device. And then even like I remember like like when Science Lady is punching us in the face with exposition, it's like, oh, time travel. No, only certain devices have inversion. It's like, what do you mean certain devices? Is it like a magical wand that you spread, you wave over it and it can go back? Like, it doesn't make sense that like certain things can go back in time yet. But then we have like a time machine device. Yes, that that we get our we got our turnstile, which looks like a turnstile, like a revolving <laughs> door. Like it's it's so simple, and I, I that's not introduced until halfway into the movie. Exactly, and then I I just it's it's definitely I got the sense like Christopher Nolan he knows that he has this new like uh, this well new idea. Like when you start the movie, it's this new idea of inversion, and he has to you know, bring the audience up to speed on what it is. So we start with Science Lady doing the bullet thing, and it's like, fine, that's easy. But it seems that, you know, we just have like, oh, this bullet and this gun are inverted, that's what we get. And then slowly we build up to, oh, you know, there's these objects. Every time you see, like, glass broken, we know it's going to have to get unbroken. And then eventually the movie's like, okay, is everybody just kind of on board with inversion? You can fucking invert anything. Like, there's just boats that are inverted by the end of this movie. Like, giant tankers and shit. <laughs> but that's the thing, though. We go from, oh, specific objects can be inverted to, yes. oh, we can go back in time, but it's mm-hmm. in reverse. But you're moving forward while you're back in time. But if you're doing that, you can't breathe the air because you'll suffocate. And everything is reversed. Fire is ice. Ice is fire. Oh, God, that shit. It's like, and it's like me. what is it's like what is happening? I'm like, why are you why are you I'm like, oh my god. Then like Elizabeth Debicki gets shot because we're told by Science Lady earlier in the film that if you get shot through inversion, it's infinitely worse. Mm-hmm. But if you go back in time, then come out earlier in time after going back in time, that it fixes all your problems. Yeah, they like invert her to heal her or something like yes. that. And and that that's where we get um I guess, I guess to, to finish out, we have Science Lady, Elizabeth Debicki, Priya, the Indian arm dealer, and then we have a military lady that explains inversion oh, again yeah. to uh, our main character when he gets inverted. Those are the four women in this movie. And and that's the whole thing where he's like, I gotta, main character's like, I gotta invert to stop Sator from getting this and... And and then I have to invert six more times or seven. There's an even odd thing going on. It's like taking that like button to Pound Town, you know? It's our even odd inversion <laughs> thing going on right here. And and I'm just like, that when he gets inverted, it just, uh, that's when the movie just started to like, I think the biggest schlocky thing in the movie is that it fucking killed Justin and I, that fire is ice and ice is fire. Like, this is the, this is the first year screenwriting student who's just like, hmm, like flame you know, that, that it exerts heat. So if you went backwards, it would consume heat, and that's ice. And it's like, not really, but fine, you but know? If that's, <laughs> but if that's the case, wouldn't the weather be completely different? Yeah. Like, wouldn't I, that invert, like, that yeah. would invert reality. <laughs> I think only like the he, algorithm can do that. <laughs> but that's the thing, though, is that, like, that, it's kind of like, I remember this being a, like, it was a complaint very early on when Inception was released. Someone's like, oh, if you're going to make a dream heist movie, why not go all out with, like, the, 
like surreal imagery mm-hmm. like so like it's like oh like instead of having people shoot with guns in the dreams why don't you make it much more like everybody has their own weapon and something like that it's like no it's just shooting guns at each, at each other and they all follow the same logic as they do in the real world and it's like okay but like that's fine like enough's going like in, in the rationalization that was like okay there's enough going on inception you don't need to bend reality even further mm-hmm. and yet like you were saying like you should like like the car catches on fire and then it turns to ice it's yep. like wait wouldn't it, like wouldn't the moment he lights the gas wouldn't it immediately be ice like wouldn't this cigarette lighter turn to ice immediately and it's like what is happening yeah i i'm sure the the movie it's some oh god it, it's so if oxygen doesn't work in that world then how does it even how does even a lighter work if there's no yes. proper oxygen yes and it's 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 i'm sure that there's some christopher Nolan explanation of how <laughs> it's like you know no only this is inverted and it's like it's like the concept of I, I think Robert Pattinson tries to describe it at a certain point where he's like, the whole universe is on a scale of like how much shit is inverted and how much shit is not inverted. And right now there's not too much stuff inverted, but everything we see in the goddamn movie is inverted. And the algorithm is trying to tip that scale. And I'm like, and I'm like, just show me another building blowing up. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Can I, okay. There's two things I want to bring up in regards to this movie. The first, I, I want to compare it to Interstellar. Okay. And, but before I get to that, I want to get to something else. The biggest takeaway that I, and this is something that drives me nuts about movie, I don't even know what to call it, merchandise or just mm-hmm. movie props. Um, during the whole temporal pincer move thing where we have people going forward and backwards and Robert Pattinson is just like driving forwards and backwards in time. Like at one point I lost track of him. I think oh, Rob, yeah. I think Rob made the perfect in that cinema. Oh God, this really is a cinema movie. This might be the first true cinema movie. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I truly like the capital C all the others so far have been with a lowercase C. He sits there and they have watches. Mm-hmm. And the watches are color coded, which I found hysterical. On top of everything else, like the blue and red helicopters weren't enough. The blue and red patches <laughs> weren't enough. And yet, I really love the watches. Like the idea of having an analog and a digital watch oh, interlaced. Sure. I'm like, that's neat. I'm like, that's great. And so during that entire like 25 minute sequence, I was enamored with these watches. I'm like, I want that watch. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, that has to exist. So I went on to Google and I did some research. And of course, analog digital watches are nothing new. But I'm like, I really want that watch with like the giant like digital time in the middle and everything else is kind of on the edges. Mm -hmm. So I researched the watch. I'm like, okay. And I typed in tenant wristwatch. And I'm like, oh, apparently like Hamilton, the the, the watchmakers are like big Christopher Nolan like tie-in partners. Okay. So I'm not sure if Rob remembers, but Interstellar, he Matthew McConaughey gives his daughter the watch, and it's a Hamilton watch. So it's not the first time that there's been a brand partnership. Sure. I have no idea if they've shown up in any other of the movies. I just know Interstellar. And so I was doing research on this, and apparently, like the like CEO of Hamilton's, like, oh, like Warner Brothers came to us and asked us to make a digital analog watch, and we'd never done anything like this before. We never created a watch like this. And I'm like, that sounds really weird. I'm like. 
what you're Hamilton. Of course you've made a watch like this at some point. <laughs> yeah. And so like, they're like, Oh, we had to completely like throw out our, our understanding of how watches are made. Like it's a real article. I'm not making this up. And like, we had to sit there, do this. And we made this one of a kind prop for Christopher Nolan, but we didn't know how important it would be to the movie's plot. And we only made 30 of them. And they were in the highest secrecies, like in our organization, only our top engineers, R and D people. And I, the CEO knew about this. And I look, I'm like, okay, where can I buy the watch? <laughs> and so I found out that there was an official tenant Hamilton watch. And I'm like, oh, crap. This is going to be like at least like a few grand. Yeah. And it's $2,000. And I'm looking at the watch. And then and I'm not making this up. Rob, can Rob, I know I've already described it. But could you please, for our audience's sake and for the dramatic telling of the story, describe the watches that John David Washington and Robert Pattinson are using at the end of the film. Yeah, I think I think I remember them well enough. Um, so so like Zach said, you know, it's a, it's a combination digital and analog, and uh, one team has the timer in the middle going forward from zero to ten, and the other team has it going backward from ten to zero, and. On the sides of them, uh, well, on the on the I guess the circumference of the of the watch face, we have our analog elements, and I think it's going forward for both people, unless we're seeing it from an inverted perspective. I'm confusing myself now. I think <laughs> you're not wrong, sir. You're not wrong. Well, the fact that in the middle of like you have this again analog watch with the minute hand, hour hand, and second, yeah, yeah, and you have all that, but in the middle you ha you have a giant digital timer. Yeah, yeah, and it's got like that, uh, you know, like that alarm clock, like yeah, green light type, like font. But type it's, face, it's yeah. neon blue and red. Like, oh yes, it's, of it's unmistakable. Yes, and because the neon of the timer is so light, I'm sorry, so bright, it illuminates the entire watch. It gives it like a blue and red glow, respectively. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm looking at this watch on Hamilton's web official website. It's it's two thousand one hundred dollars for the low low price of two thousand one hundred dollars. <laughs> but this is the best part. I'm looking at this watch and I'm like, where's the digital timer? And then it actually says, and I'm not making this up for a two thousand dollar watch. Oh no. Please note, the special edition khaki navy below zero is powered by an automatic movement and does not feature the digital screen that appears on the custom-made prop watch we made for Tenant. What the hell is the point, then? Exactly! <laughs> like, you had somebody that was – I wasn't going to spend two grand, but you had somebody that was willing to buy this product – and I went, what the hell? I would have so put it on a wish list at least. <laughs> They made an official tenant watch and didn't even make the watch from the movie. That's that's super lame. Super that's insane. Lame. That's insane. But you know what the best part of this thing is? I did some research and I looked for I, I scoured eBay mm -hmm. and all these different like marketplace sellers looking for a like a facsimile. And I found a watch that literally does this. It has the analog time hands and it has a giant digital clock in the middle okay for a hundred and fifty dollars boom <laughs> yeah hamilton watches one of the like i don't want to say it's not hamilton's not rolex but it ain't exactly a cheap watch either can't couldn't figure out how to do this jeez that's and that's to insane. add and to add insult to injury uh, this this is this is the kicker this is the cherry on top for 10 years now casio has made an anna I can't even finish this properly. <laughs> An analog digital watch 
with the exact same thing. A digital clock in the middle with analog hands for $26. <laughs> Yet the CEO of Hamilton watches could not figure out how to design this. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> they could have literally spent $25 at Walmart and gotten yep. this watch. Yep. Jeez. That, you are right. That is insane. <laughs> it's insane. I, 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 mentally, I cannot wrap my head around this. I'm like, everything about this movie doesn't make sense. Even the marketing yes, tie-in. Yes, <laughs> That's good. That's good. I, okay. So <laughs> anything else you want to say, Rob, like in the immediate – do you have any comments on that? No, I mean I, I didn't look into that. I, I wasn't – I definitely noticed the watches. I wasn't as enthralled with them, I think, as you were. But it is a cool idea. Um, but that is just absolutely baffling to me. Um, the only thing I could think is maybe that, you know, Casio, the, the, the people making these cheap watches, they're the, uh, they got the technology from the future from Inversion. Hamilton's <laughs> going to figure out how to make it for cheap in a few years. <laughs> it's a temporal pincer movement. This whole movie is a temporal pincer movement. <sighs> okay. You know what I think? Okay, Rob, this is, this is a question. I'm trying to think of all the schlockiest movies I can think of. <laughs> um, but like highbrow schlock? Mm, okay, okay. Like, is this schlockier than Starship Troopers? Ooh. Starship Troopers is very self-aware. Yeah. So I'm going to say, so I'm going to say no. Like, that's what I, that's what I was going to get at. Like, like you, you were right. You know, uh, like Starship Troopers is is completely aware of what it is and what it's doing, down to you know the very end of the movie. Um, you know, I just always think of Neil Patrick Harris going, it's afraid, and they all cheer, and it's like, that's the point of this movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. Uh, th- this is, you make a really good point that, you know, Christopher Nolan is trying to make a smart, clever, sci-fi James Bond movie, and it comes off as, uh, like you said, uh, it, not immature, immature from the, the storytelling sense, like the first-year college student type of thing. And it's baffling. It's, it's absolutely bonkers. That's, but that's the thing, though, is that, like, this goes back to my ultimate question for anybody who's watched this film. Is this – were these choices made – were these poor choices made out of apathy yeah. or cynicism? Like, is that like, – is there – like, there, ha- I, there has to be a level of contempt for the audience. There has to be. Because, like, I think there's so many dumb things that happen in this movie that are inexplicable, like – they do the whole thing at the beginning of uh, – not the beginning, like the first third of the film where they're trying to break into the art gallery airport yep. terminal, and it's all for naught. It's just there to later set up a way to save Elizabeth Debicki. Yeah. And that's yeah. – like we have literally a 30 to 35-minute plot point just there, and it's all for naught, and it's in the, in the short term just as a way to undo something that happens later in the film. Yeah, and I, I think that goes back with what I was saying, you know, that, that the, the visuals were the, the most important part because I, I think, you know, you're right that a lot of that is, is just set up so we can see what's going on or, or you know, the, our characters, when they invert themselves, have some way to do this. But at the same time, I'm also thinking that Christopher Nolan's just like, I want to run a plane into a building. Like, he's like, I want to do that, so let's just make that the first third of the movie. I'm going to blow, I'm not blow up, but I'm going to run this plane into this building and then write some reason why they're doing this around it. Because you're absolutely right. The whole thing is, like, they got to get in there and destroy the painting. And then, the, like, two scenes later, Sator's like, here's the painting. I knew to take it out. How? Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, but like, but this is my thing, though, is that, like any sort of movie, 
it has to go through so many iterations and drafts. Oh yeah, yeah. And like Christopher, like even like I didn't even see his wife's name on this. Okay. His wife's what? Emma Tom- Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson, yeah. And she usually always produces his films. I didn't see her name anywhere on oh, this okay, either. Okay. I'm not sure. I could be wrong about that. And I don't know. Like that's the thing. Like this comes across as somebody who's just kind of like. Like driving along the highway, and they're bouncing into the guardrails. <laughs> I like that. And, yeah. and, and that's the thing. I don't know. Are they doing it because they're drunk? Are they doing it because they're not paying attention? Are they doing it because they just don't care? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the question. What is the motive behind this? What? Why did he make this movie? Like he's Christopher Nolan. He never has to work again. Like it's not like, like I don't know. Like I. I that's where, like, I'm concerned now for Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker. It's kind of like almost the point where Tim Burton is has been at for years. Are we at a point where Christopher Nolan has nothing left to say as a filmmaker? Mm. So he's just doing things that feel good in the short term. That's interesting. That's because in- I think that does match up with me saying that he just wants to show off, you know, the visuals and what he can do. But I, that that's a really good point. Where you know, is he getting to that 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 issue of you know, like you said, Tim Burton? I don't think he's quite at Tim Burton, of course, yet, but you're right. He could be on that path. We might get the, oh, Jesus Christ, the the Nutter Butter, (laughs) whatever the hell it's fucking called in Alice in Wonderland. We don't have the Nutter Butter yet, but it might be on its way. But, like, having Elizabeth Debicki squeeze suntan lotion onto the floor to have Kenneth Branagh slip and then break his neck on the side, like, that's the equivalent of it. It is. Like, like at the end of the day, you boil it down. It's two unnecessarily goofy moments in a film. Sure. That sure. should have been re- – not saying – again, you have to kill Kenneth Branagh on this. Like, I'm not arguing that. Mm-hmm. But it's the idea that, like, that's how you're going to kill him. Like, she shoots him in the chest. Then she drags his body over the suntan lotion because otherwise he'd be too heavy. It's like, What? Yeah, you're it's right. It's like what? I'm and like, and then what? we we even do get the comical shot afterward when her and the fixer are riding off on the on, riding off on the boat, and they're dragging his body on a rope <laughs> tied to the boat. I I laughed in the theater when they and, and you're absolutely right. That's a really good point. That that is just it's it's goofy, it's bonkers, it's it's Christopher Nolan being like, we got to get from point. I was about to say A to B, but at this point we're why at like did triple he need his body? Z to triple A. <laughs> why did he need his body? I I don't know. Nobody knows. <laughs> Like, I, that's a question, though. Like, why they need his body? Yeah. Why did any of this, like, like none of this makes sense? Like, like okay. This is the th- okay, go Okay, this is how I want to juxtapose this to Interstellar. Sure, sure. I think it's fair to say Rob is not a big fan of Interstellar. It's been, it's been uh, hinted at a few times. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It comes down to, like, R- Rob, Rob disagrees with the whole thing about, like, how Interstellar is about, like, love and family. Yes. I don't like love. I don't like family. No. <laughs> Especially like, through time and space. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, okay. Like, Rob, like, I, it's kind of like what Rob said earlier about Tenet. Like, a bunch of just, like, sciencey words are sprinkled in, and they're there to, like, kind of just, like, like just, gl- like, gl- what's the word? Tie the audience over. Like, yeah, we're throwing yeah. jargon at you. Just It's just there for you to kind of grease the skids. Much like how Elizabeth Debicki sprays suntan lotion on the floor <laughs> of the yacht to grease the floor to drag Kenneth Branagh's dead body. That's what it's there for in Interstellar. 
But the ultimate point to Interstellar between Matthew McConaughey and his daughter, whether it be Mackenzie Foy, Jessica, Stain, Jessica Chastain, yeah. or Elizabeth Bernstein, is the idea that can love transcend time and space. And that's as a concept, not as a scientific concept, but more as a story beat, is sure. a fascinating idea to, to ponder on. The idea that like just because somebody is gone or removed light years from one another or dead – can love this thing that we all experience at some point in our lives, yet is inherently intangible, can it transcend the laws of time and space? That's an interesting science fiction concept. Whether it's executed brilliantly in my eyes or horribly in Rob's, that is a fantastic concept to think about. That is fil- that's philosophy that you could ponder on for days. In Tenant, we don't get any of that. We just get like janky, broken time travel like logic and janky, broken time travel logic works when you're making schlock. Like if you're doing Looper and you have Bruce Willis and Joseph Gordon-Levitt sitting at a diner table and Joseph Gordon-Levitt being like, if you show me a picture of your wife or you you telling me about my wife tells me that I'm never going to beat her because I'm going to make that choice. And Bruce Willis is like, don't try making sense of any of this. It doesn't matter. <laughs> that is a very clever way of telling the audience time travel is literally just a way to move the plot forward Yeah, because it's not the plot. It's just a way to move it along. Don't worry about the finite details except tenant. The entire plot is about time travel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is, and yet it is te- focused on it, hardcore. It's yep. folk. It's the engine that propels the plot. Yet the 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 characters are telling us, "Don't worry about this." And it's like, no, you don't get to have your cake and eat it too. Movie, <laughs> you do not get to have your mushy cake. You don't get to have your sad birthday cake moment. Like that's like that's the problem I have with this. Sure. There's no core idea to this movie. There's no backbone to it. Say what you will about like all of Christopher Nolan's films are inherently lacking like an emotional core, except for Interstellar. And that's why Interstellar resonates so well with me and why it detests Rob so much. That's a, that's a good point. Even thinking about Inception, like the most emotional thing in that movie is the son wants to destroy his father's oil conglomerate to make something for himself. <laughs> that's the thing though, but at least like that makes sense. Like that's like the weird thing about Inception is that like it's Inception can be about a couple of things depending on how you view it. Like the the film critical or the film I don't know, cinephile understanding of Inception is it's about the illusion of cinema because mm-hmm. it's basically it's a production. Yeah. Because you have all these different and they, I was even part of the marketing. Like you have the architect, you have the forger, you yeah. have the the what, I forget all the names. Like remember you and I laughed about what's her name. Um, Oh my God! What's her name? Talia Al Ghul. Oh my God! Why do I know that? But I oh, know the uh, name. Marion Cotillard. <laughs> yes, Marion. Remember that she was the shade, and you and I were yes. just laugh hysterically <laughs> at that. We're like the shade. I want to be the shade. <laughs> uh, but like that was the whole thing. Is that like it's a production? Like yeah. it's about the illusion of like art and creating cinema. And you had like Dunkirk. Dunkirk is all about like. Again, I don't know what Dunkirk's about. Whatever, bad example. <laughs> that's a, but, that's a good, yeah, the most emotional thing in Dunkirk is when um the kid uh, dies. Yeah, the, right? yeah, exactly. I was about to say. I was about to say what? Uh, Killian, Cillian or Killian Murphy, whatever it's how it's pronounced. Kills him. 
kills, kills him. Yeah, that's the most emotional part of the movie. Yeah, and that's but like there's there's core like when Christopher Nolan's not making franchise fair, and you can at least make arguments about the Dark Knight movies. Like Batman Begins is all about the idea of being a symbol versus being the man. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dark Knight is all about faith in humanity, and the Dark Knight Rises is all about kind of like having a choice about what you want to go on. Like, are you doomed to the life that you're ch- currently living, or can you? grow as a person yeah sure um and it's also about living a lie like, like the dark knight to this day has one of the most interesting concepts in any movie um and it's a shame that the dark knight rises kind of pisses it away <laughs> the idea that we deserve i, I think he, i think michael Caine even says it at the end of the movie he says sometimes we deserve better than the truth yeah and i've always found that a fascinating concept that like oh sometimes we deserve better than the, the hand we're dealt and then like the dark knight rises like nope the truth is always like the truth is always the best choice (laughs) and i'm like yeah but that's too easy of a concept like that's like oh the truth will set you free not always not always ignorance is bliss which is a thing that i think is even said in this movie right isn't there some line of dialogue that's this movie is filled with a bunch of weird like archaic sayings too like you were saying like um Ignorance is oh, our ammunition. There, I'm sorry, that's what you uh, said. Yeah, lying Ignor- is standard operating procedure. Procedure that comes up. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of archaic sayings in this. It's just like, like there's even one thing that Robert Pattinson says. Robert Pattinson says at the very end, and I really wish I could have heard it properly. And the sound <laughs> mixing was done properly. Um, I swear to God, folks, if there's an Academy Awards this year, and I don't care if this is the only film that's released for the rest of the year, if this film gets one nomination for sound editing or mixing, I am going to shoot somebody. Because <laughs> it's not. Like, like, I don't care. No. 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 Um, he says something at the very end, and he's like – Oh God! It's about time travel. I'm. I. I can't even paraphrase. Yeah, I. I remember. I and don't he, remember it. I. I remember he has the an moment. You're spiel. He said, yeah, as he's saying goodbye to John Robert Washington, he's like, the like the the present is a beautiful thing. It would be a crime to change it. To save the world, can't leave anything to chance. But can we change things if we do it different? What's happened's happened. Just an expression of faith in the mechanics of the world. It's not an excuse to do nothing. Faith? Call it what you want. What do you call? Reality. Like what we yeah. sh- like rob rob robbing the present of its existence is a crime. He says something like that. It's now like, that I'm remembering that that whole kind of his ending dialogue and then like the ending dialogue of of the movie when Elizabeth Debicki sees her son and he shoots Priya. Like that's all just cliche one-liners because even Robert Pattinson is like, we're we're really good friends, and you know I met you this many years ago, and you're gonna meet me this many years in the future. And he's like, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship, but it's the end of the yeah. movie. And then that like the last line of dialogue is like, you know, nobody appreciates the bomb that didn't go off, and I'm just like, I'm like, okay, you know, we're we're hitting it a little too hard, I think. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, in that, like, there's stuff too. Like, he'll, like, I think, uh, Robert Pattinson says, "See you in the beginning." Yeah. Like, it's really yeah. like it, it's too it, it's two cent dialogue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, geez, it's something else, man. It is. Abs- you're right. You're right about the the message, though. And I think that that is what I was saying as well. That there there might not be a message to this movie. It is just Christopher Nolan wants to show you what he can do. He wants to take that plane and run it into the hangar. He wants you to be confused as hell when there's, like, a fire truck, an 18-wheeler, 
and two other things surrounding an armored car and you know and it's loud as hell he just wants to show this off it seems it's the nutter butter what the hell is that called why can i never remember that <laughs> all right go love this i'm looking at the quote section on imdb and the last quote is cat colon hurry up <laughs> that's it <laughs> that's it Wait, like that is there more than there's probably more no. than one instance of that in the movie, right? <laughs> Apparently, it's gotten two out of twenty three people found this interesting, so the majority <laughs> does not find this fascinating. <laughs> Jesus, that's something else, man. <laughs> oh, I I do. I'm sure uh, if we when we get Justin's thoughts, he'll say this. But one of the funniest things I saw was when we were talking about it afterwards. Justin was like, at, he's like, I could not tell you one character's name in that movie. <laughs> I disagree with that. I, I, I do as well. I definitely got their names, but he was just like, I think the, the audio mixing was getting him hard. Not getting him hard, but getting to him hard, you know, just to clarify. It, the audio mixing was getting me hard because it was so loud. It was giving him problems. <laughs> That's great. That's a fantastic way to misuse that, that term or that, that expression. <laughs> Oh man, that was getting him hard. No, no, not not that kind of way. Like, <laughs> like the negative way. <laughs> That's great. It's getting him hard and not in a good way. <laughs> but up, up, but up, up. That'd be a great sub, like, like a, a tagline for like a credit credit thing. Like ten. Yes. This movie, the, the sound mixing was getting him hard and not in a good way. <laughs> I I definitely. I mean, it, it regardless of the sound mixing with the with the dialogue, I should say. I think, you know, it's it's been forever. Anybody who listens to Cinemodities, they know that Rob loves things in reverse. That's where the ending oh, outro. Oh, of course. And I have to say, some of, the, some of the score in this movie with the sounds going in reverse, I was loving it. I was just all on board for just hearing reverse noises that loud. It was it was awesome. The one that stood out to me the most was the um, the car chase scene, like when the the protagonist is climbing on top of the fire truck, like on the ladder. And you're just hearing the craziest noises going backwards. And I'm like, I'm just so on board for it. Like that's that's the thing that's so weird. Like this feels like a movie that's tailor made for us. Um, I I think it 100 percent goes back to what I was saying earlier. I am Christopher Nolan. I make this movie in the future for our younger selves, and this is again because Rob will eventually become Vernon Chapman. Which reminds Vernon Chapman's the inverted Rob. Exactly, we have to mention because something Zach thought of, which I did not, which is because we're 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 all in time vortex inversion world. That when we discussed Wonder Chosen, we did discuss Patience, the inverted episode, where the episode plays forward and then plays backwards after this first commercial break. And then I'm pretty sure after the second commercial break, it is two episodes together, one played forward, one played backwards or something insane. And it is the most ridiculous thing. And it is the the culmination of Christopher Nolan and Vernon Chapman, Rob and Zach, somewhere 
where they're going to meet. You know, it's like that point in the final battle of Tenet where both the forward-moving and backward-moving clocks hit the five-minute mark. That's when Wonder Shows and Patience episode happens. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you can reverse-engineer where we are in the world with that, but, but, you know, possibly it could be done. But that is... Wonder Shows and is the best of both worlds. (laughs) Yes. We figured it out, Rob. We we figured it out. Patience. 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 (laughs) Patience. (laughs) Tenant. And it even it even thinking about it more, I haven't seen the patience episode of Wonder Shows in a while, but there is stuff that when you watch the first bit, you it makes no sense and you don't understand yep. it, but when it plays in reverse, it makes sense. And God, Vernon Chapman and Christopher Nolan. <laughs> I mean, maybe, who knows, Zach, we might be the same person. Oh God! <laughs> there might be like a cross inversion happening, a, a cross version. <laughs> well, to be fair, has anyone ever seen Vernon Chapman, Rob, and Christopher Nolan and myself in the same room together? Exactly, exactly. The plot thickens. <laughs> I have a question. Like, is this going to be one of those movies that's going to have like again? This movie's only been out. A lot of people, the, the vast majority of people, have not seen it yet. Yeah, yeah. Is this going to be one of those movies? Kind of like I don't want to say like what The Shining has become now. But like, is this gonna be like a dark side of the moon where like people are gonna start like try like playing it like in reverse and seeing if there's anything like there? Like oh, if yeah. you play the film in reverse? Oh, absolutely. I could totally see people doing that where they're just gonna, you know, play it in reverse, they're gonna see what's revealed, they're probably gonna hear things like weird hidden stuff and and I'm sure this is one of those movies that once it gets I'm sure they exist already, but I think it'll blow up that once this starts to get like some major viewing audience, whether it be in theaters or when it uh, is sold on home video or something like that, there's going to be so many goddamn YouTube videos of 10 things you didn't notice about. Uh, oh, it's already, it's already there. Yeah, I, I'm I, so, I, I, I went to YouTube and typed be. in Tenet and like the first thing was Tenet Explained. And, and you know, that's going to be, uh, I think there's there's probably so much in the background and, you know, that the little Easter eggs, like I said, of time travel. I think, you know, we already got, we've been mentioning the one that this movie uses red and blue to denote what's going forward and going backwards. And I'm sure there's people out there who are going to be like, Christopher Nolan is so smart. Like, he uses red for time going forward and blue for time going backward because it's the Doppler effect. And things going forward get red shifted and things going backward get blue shifted. And it's like, no, he just needs a way to make it make a little bit of sense. (laughs) I already read a fan theory about this. Okay, Someone's there's nothing to back this up in the film. (laughs) <laughs> but there's already a fan theory that says that Elizabeth Debicki's son is eventually grows up to be Robert Pattinson. Oh, I think I I saw some posts like on Reddit about that or something, and I yeah. I was I read that and I was like, yeah, I don't I like you said, there's no backing to that in the movie. <laughs> hey, Rob, you want to know a secret about Ten? If 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 you if you play it in reverse, the only sound you hear is a very hushed whisper of Christopher Nolan saying. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck all of you. It's in that, every, it's uh, every track on the score. Is yes. that, That's mixed in somewhere that's in reverse. It. No, it's not mixed in. That is it. That's oh, all that you is. hear. It's just, that's all you hear for two and a half hours. 
I'm pretty sure if you play this in reverse, it matches up perfectly with the Wizard of Oz. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, God, this movie. You are absolutely right, though. This is going to be played in reverse. Like, like it's going to be done to death. Certain scenes, the whole thing. uh, It's just the the deluge is coming, for sure. But but this is the weird thing, though. It's like... We were both around, and we were kind of partly responsible in 2010, like when like Inception was the biggest thing, like that summer and fall, to the point where I think it's even referenced. I remember there's like a Black Eyed Peas song where like it's even referenced. I know, like, like it was like even it was it was it was everywhere in pop culture, but like in a very like specific tier or strata. Mm-hmm. Like I know it's like like it was even like referenced in like in another song. I forget what it was, and. But, like, Inception doesn't really have that much of a cultural footprint anymore. No, I mean, you know, I, I think um, the only thing that might exist, which I I've, I haven't heard in a while, but, you know, I'm sure it's just tapering out, we have to go deeper. Like, that was the that was the biggest thing from that movie, you know, is that, you know, no one talks about Limbo anymore. No one talks about, you know. Well, even the, uh, the, the Inception sound. Remember, oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. We, even, we even get that. We got that in this film. <laughs> yes. When the, uh, when the plane's, like, going into the building, like, it is Blanc dialed up to, like, 15. It's like, <laughs> Blanc. I'm like, oh, my God. He somehow made it worse. Like, that's the thing, though, is, like, we don't even talk about the Inception block anymore. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if that's because, A, Inception's not as culturally relevant as it once was, being 10 years old, or because we live in a culture now where everything, there's just so much stuff, mm, mm-hmm. nothing gets time to breathe anymore. That's, that's kind of how I think about it. Unless it's Avengers Infinity War. Yeah, that's how I kind of think about it, that, you know, everything gets kind of pushed out, and I know we've... It's not exactly in the same vein, but Zach and I have talked about, you know, with with the um, the state of like television and streaming services. It's like there's so much stuff that every time I talk to somebody and they're like, have you seen this? And it's like that is there's almost an infinite number of stuff now. And and I, I can't keep track of all of it. And some of it rises to the top and not even the stuff that rises to the top has staying power. Like you said, the. Avengers Endgame, you know? Nobody talks no, about t- that yeah, anymore. Highest-grossing film of all time. It's as if it never happened. Yeah, it, exactly. And it, it's all kind of like this weird uh, branching kind of, you know, per- permeating system of things. It's like the only time you hear anybody talk about the boys is because they have Amazon Prime. And then you only hear people talk about, you know, like uh, Twilight Zone if they have CBS All It's because Rob li- is the only person that likes it in a cynical way. <laughs> An octopus hacks a computer, everybody. <laughs> I am not making that up. But but it's it's so disjointed, and I feel like, you know, that's where we are, that there's just so much stuff. And and it's 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 been in existence. I think this is just how things happen. The music world has been this way forever. Where you have things that rise to the top and became famous, but nowadays it's just like so much stuff gets released. That, you know, it's you have people who have, you know, never heard of certain bands that I have lived with my whole life. And that's just the way it goes. And I don't think, like you said, nothing gets time to breathe anymore. Yeah, like I, that's and I guess that's probably what it comes down to. But that's the thing. There's there's nothing. Is there, like, I know we've talked about it before, like how things catch on in the culture. Mm-hmm. Is there going to be anything? And how could we? I, it's kind of almost unfair to ask you this. Is there anything memeable about this movie? In your opinion? Uh, hmm. Jeez. I don't, uh, I don't, nothing immediately comes to mind. Like, there's no real kind of, 
you know, standout lines. There's no, like, um, I'm trying to think of images, maybe, but... Like, the equivalent of, like, the Inception block. Like, yeah, is there anything, yeah. uh... is there anything like that that's, like, I don't want to say exclusive to this, but, like, that that's the thing. Like, the only thing I can think about is the idea of going forwards. Like, I, I, do they still make new episodes of Saturday Night Live? I could see Saturday <laughs> Night Live trying to parody this. Sure, sure. But, yeah, I think, yeah, there's nothing, nothing else pops into my head immediately. And I think that's where the the meme ability would happen like something is just so immediately tractionable that they take it and run with it and this movie is just so dense in that way that you can't you know really pick anything out i mean what's the there was that line from the trailer that i think that they i saw the most where robert pattinson is like that part is a little bit dramatic but nobody's talking about that and nobody's gonna talk about that for this movie or anything and and so yeah it's too yeah i i i like schlocky's probably a better way to say it but I, i'm almost like it's it's too dense and vacuous yeah. at the same time <laughs> yeah it's yeah i guess that's it i guess th- there's nothing to latch on to with this there's it is nothing... in self-inverted <laughs> yeah that's one way of looking at it um yeah because i don't I, I don't see this latching on for many reasons i think people aren't focused on movies right now um everybody mm-hmm. forgets the summer of 2010 was a really bad summer for movies there wasn't a lot good that summer it was like it was like toy story iron man 2 inception and that was kind of it okay it wasn't and that's a thing there's so much crap now on on netflix and all that yeah yeah i i don't i like I, said, I don't think people are concerned with movies right now and plus like we said everybody's taste is all over the place yep Yep. There's no there's no actor in this that rises above anybody else. It's again think about it, the most high profile person in this movie is Robert Pattinson. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean what John David Washington, he was in Black Klansman. That's the only other place I know him from. Other than that, uh, I don't know anything else he's done at all. Yeah. Kenneth Branagh well, Kenneth Branagh's been around forever. Um he was uh oh god, what, what was his character in Wild Wild West? Oh god, who was he in Wild Wild West? Doctor Doctor Somebody. Was he the bad guy? Doctor, yeah, Doctor Loveless. Oh, that's right. He was. He looks. Oh God, that that. I mean, there was so much weird hair on that character. <laughs> oh God, that movie has a lot of uh, uh, blatant and subtle racism. Oh my, I'm thinking of that scene when he's introduced to Will Smith. Yep, and, just, yeah. and Will Smith is constantly making like you know Short amputee jokes. jokes, and and he's constantly making black jokes, and it's <laughs> just like, man, this is this is a movie. <laughs> Nice of you to join us tonight and add color to these monochromatic proceedings. Well, when a fella comes back from the dead, I find that an occasion to stand up, be counted. Miss East informs me that you're expecting to see General McGrath here. Well, I knew him years ago, but I haven't seen him in a coon's age. Well, I can see where it'd be difficult for a man of your stature to keep in touch with even half the people you know. Perhaps the lovely Miss East will keep you from being a slave to your disappointment. Well, you know, beautiful women, they encourage you one minute and cut the legs out from under you the next. Right. Excuse me, Mr. West. Oh, God, that's that's a movie that we, that we should discuss at some point. I don't know why. Why is that not on, a, is that on the list? Wasn't that uh, on, like, one of the anniversary, like, isn't that, like, 2001 or something? No, it's no, 1999. Okay, no, 99. Okay. That might be on a Gonzo blockbuster list. Probably, maybe. probably. That but has yes, to be on that, list somewhere. That movie, definitely, there's there's things to say about that movie. Um, beyond Selma Hayek being a fresh, fresh breath of ass. I'm pretty sure that's the line. <laughs> I told you she'd be a distraction. She's not a distraction. 
distraction. It's nice having her on board. She's a breath of fresh ass. Pardon me? What? You said ass. No, I didn't. I said it's nice having her on board. She's a breast of fresh air. Let's just get some shut ass. <gasps> oh my god, that movie. Um <laughs> Oh I can God. bet there probably won't be a lot of tenant discussions until uh, when this comes out. There'll be some, but we're we're kind of ahead of the pack. But I would bet none of them are bringing up Wild Wild West. <laughs> no, God, Kenneth Branagh's career is all over the freaking place. Yeah, tenant. I, I don't know. I guess there's there's only only other yeah, there's only one other thing I want to bring up with this movie, but it's a it's a minor quibble, but. Is there anything else that you have to say? Yeah, I had one more minor thing, and, you know, um, I, I did want to mention, because I know I've said it before, and, and it's something I definitely kind of uh, hold uh, still. I really dislike the the concept, or which I would call the trope, the cliche, of in time travel movies, it was us all along, which is one of my problems with oh, Interstellar. Yeah. I have to say, I did not mind it as much in this movie, because the revelation that it was them all along kind of comes halfway through it when he inverts himself and they have to go back to the uh, the the airport hangar and, you know, fight himself and stuff like that. So I, I think this movie handled it in a little better of a way. And I think I was also blinded by how bonkers it was that I was just along for the ride. And they I was like, fine, you know, there's so much other cliche stuff in here and just nonsense that I'm, I'm on board. But I, I have to mention the the worst line of the film, which might be one of the worst lines I think I've ever heard in anything, movies, music, TV shows, whatever, when uh, our protagonist, Robert Pattinson, and Elizabeth Debicki are, like, traveling on the boat back to the Freeport to go to the turnstile to undo her after she's healed, he's, Robert Pattinson is explaining what the algorithm is going to do, and remember, everybody, the algorithm is a device, and he's like explaining how it's going to destroy the world. And I think before he says that John David Washington is like, or yeah, is like, it's a, so what's going to happen? Like, what does that mean when he, you know, inverts, you know, more than is non-inverted and Robert Pattinson is like, it's going to end the world. Like time will stop. And Elizabeth Debicki goes, will my child die too? (laughs) And I'm like, what the fuck? Everyone and everything is ever lived, destroyed. Precise enough. My son. How do, like, why? Why did that need... We understand she needs to get back to her kid. We understand that's her goal. But what the hell, bitch, do you think your son is some, like, interdimensional being that if the universe ends, he's gonna still live on? Like, that was the worst thing I think I've ever heard. Period. <laughs> it's funny you mention that, because now I'm starting to realize this has a lot of, like... like I know you and I were talking a couple weeks ago about like time being a major thing with all of Nolan's films. Oh yeah, sure. but he's also starting to have a lot of weird hallmarks about like we were behind it all along. Mm-hmm. The idea of someone trying to get back to their children. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that was. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, I guess uh, Inception, then Interst- uh, Interstellar, not Dunkirk, but definitely even even the Prestige. You could even say maybe has that element of like getting back to your children, or just like like the family, like getting back to your family. Yep, yep. It, to, speaking of time, you know that's the whole like the whole premise of Memento is time. 
Um, and, and that it was us all along, you know, he is Sammy Jankis or whatever the revelation is, and Joey Pantaleono's the bad guy, it's all that stuff. Yeah, he, he sticks to these themes, like you were saying earlier, whether or not he has anything else to say, he sticks to some of these things. Yeah, that's, oh god, Christopher Nolan's, in, I, guess, I guess it's that thing that, like, uh, what Tarantino's in, Revisionist History, it's just, they, they found a, a, one would say a groove, others would call a rut. Sure. And they're just sticking in it. Yep. Even the end of uh, the Dark Knight, Jim Gordon's kid is held hostage. Yeah, by, getting by back to your family. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Even the end of Dark Knight Rises, you could even say because they ba- they mm. bury quote unquote Bruce Wayne with the rest of the Waynes. Like you could even even make that argument. Sure. Um, sure. Getting, getting back. Yeah, it's it's and even yeah with uh, Talia Al Ghul and Ra's Al Ghul. Yep. Yep. That's a weird theme in all these movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. You are not wrong. I guess I guess Insomnia is the one without that, but Insomnia definitely has That was so early. That was so early. Yeah, in his that career. that does have the notion of time, but in the different way of that, you know, it's always day because they're in some place in Alaska and they're in the season where the, the sun doesn't set. And so there's like Al Pacino can't get a sense of what time it is. Like there's scenes where he's like, Let's go interview this kid at the school and they're like, It's ten o'clock and he goes, I know and they go, No, ten PM and it's still bright out. And so he like <laughs> never knows what time it is. And so yeah, it's time or children. <laughs> Or both. Or both. Ah, uh, goddamn movies. Movies are horrible. So yeah, that was. I think that was my last minor thing was that if the world ends, will my child die? Oh god, this. I hate that, <laughs> shit. that was so dumb. Elizabeth Debicki was was fine in this movie, being one of the four women, but that was that was just no good. <laughs> yeah. So what was your yeah. minor thing? Uh, it's not really minor. It's more I think about it, but it's like. Halfway through the movie, they start going inverting time, mm-hmm. and you have to wear a, an oxygen mask. Oh yes, and, yes, because you apparently you'll suffocate on air going backwards. Yeah, they said. The they say, I think um, uh, military explainer lady says something like, <laughs> "Oxygen, like regu- like forward moving oxygen won't go through re- inverted like lung membrane or something like that." Mm-hmm. And so you take an au- a sound mixing that's horrible, <laughs> and you combine it with covering everybody's mouth with a plastic apparatus. Yes, that was a that was a weird choice. <laughs> What's Christopher Nolan's things with covering actors' mouths with, with with devices? Yeah, maybe maybe that's the third one to go with time and children. And specifically, he likes to do it whenever Tom Hardy's there, right? I guess not an in Inception. Uh, but like you know Bane, and then what? Yes. For most of the movie of Dunkirk, he's got the um, the aviator's yep. mask on. <laughs> yep. And then put, and the thing that makes that worse beyond just the fact that you really couldn't hear the actors at that point. And if he wanted, to, if he wanted to have that plot element of like, oh, they have to, they need like oxygen, they could have had it. So instead of it covering the entire mouth, it just goes directly into their nostrils. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And you could let their mouths be open. Nope. Nope, we need to cover their entire face. It's kind of like the opposite of Tarantino with feet. No one needs to have people's faces covered. <laughs> it's, it's the opposite of that. Like, what's the opposite of a fetish? Uh, ooh, that's a good question. A distaste? <laughs> I guess. I guess it's a, what, what, a fetish for covering people's faces. Yeah, yeah. It's a fetish from. It's an inverted fetish. <laughs> inverted fetish. There we go. We figured it out. We got it. We figured it out. So, so speaking of that, you know, when when he has to put the, we learn he has to put the mask on because he, our main character, inverts himself. Um, that that whole scene after the after the initial car chase, when they go to like the docks where Sator is, and they do that, you know, they have that weird mirror kind of room set up type of thing, 
and, you know, one side of the room is going forwards, one side is going backwards, and you're hearing audio go forward, like dialogue going forward, dialogue going backwards. This deserves an award from me personally for being one of the times in my life that I was literally confused beyond belief. I had (laughs) no clue what was happening in that because I was watching it and I'm like trying to parse through what was going forward and what was going backwards. And, and then you start seeing all this stuff and like Elizabeth Debicki gets shot like three times in that scene as they're they're inverting and uninverting themselves. And I was just in awe. Like I couldn't look away because it sounded and looked really interesting, but I was just like, I have no idea what is going on right now. And then when he inverts himself and goes back to the car chase and somehow the the part of the algorithm like pinballs around 65 different objects and ends up in Sater's car, I'm like I could not explain to you what just <laughs> happened. And then fire turns to ice and I'm like I I'm like I am so lost, but I I need to keep watching it. <laughs> It's all right. Robert Patton says, you're the first person to ever get hypothermia from a car accident. Yes, and ignorance is our ammunition. <laughs> oh, God. It's movie, man. And lying is standard operating procedure. Oh, God. It's a, it's a temporal pincer movement. That is that that is that is my favorite thing from this movie, just that concept. I, re- I like, chuckled when, when the dude, the military man, shows up out of nowhere, and he's like, this whole operation was a temporal pincer movement. And I'm like... <gasps> Okay. <laughs> I'm like, you just told me, you just gave me a word that, a phrase that I don't understand following a whole like 10 minute scene I did not understand. <laughs> that part where he gives the military briefing, like in the red, like cargo container, and he's like pointing to the blue cargo container, yes. like halfway across the battlefield. I, I, I had no idea what was going on during that. Oh, like, I'm, I did not either, and I'm pretty sure there's a line in there where he's explaining it, and he's like, now see, blue team, they've already had this debriefing. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, what do you and mean? And he's like, we're using their debriefing to feed our mission. Yeah, it's like, like oh, what? I, I'm just like, oh, Jesus, Jesus and Robert Christ. Pattinson's driving a Humvee around the battlefield. He's blowing a horn. You're seeing so much shit go on, and it, like like I said, this movie is absolutely goofy and bonkers, and I'm I'm slowly loving it for that, which is a weird thing for me. But I it's, it, I told you it all comes down. Like I could love it for that exact same reason, but it all comes down to intent. Yes, if he's yeah, doing right. this, if this if this is the Christopher Nolan equivalent of in Transformers. I don't know, one of them, where, like, <laughs> he, like they're, they're doing an operation. The military has a bunch of monitors, and there's, like, I'm not joking, like, 30 monitors, and only four of them have images, and the rest of them are all blue because yep. they never filled them in. They never filled them in with images. It's just the blue screen that they had on set. If it depends. If he's doing this because he's lazy, then I hate this movie. If he's doing this movie because he genuinely, he genuinely hates the audience – then I love it. <laughs> okay, okay. That's the difference. Like, it's again, if he's doing this because he's just indifferent toward it, like filmmaking now, then fine. But I'm not going to like it. Is he's doing this because he wants to take a, spend a two hundred million dollars and shove it up the audience's ass? Mm-hmm. Then I'm fully on board with it. Fair, fair. I think, I think, uh, I, think I, I would, I would agree with you there that I would like to know the intent for sure. Um, and and I think definitely, I, I, I guess uh, one of my final thoughts is that I would love to see this again to hopefully try and wrap my head around it, see if that's possible, I think. That's why I want to see this again. But man, also, 
there's some visuals in this I really, really loved because I love stuff going in reverse. And so that I think that's what kept it going a lot for me. Like I said at the start, I was conflicted because I love looking at it and seeing it. But man, this is bonkers. <laughs> that's the thing. I would love to go see this again. Except I want the subtitle track. I exactly. want You're right. captions. You're right. I would and love not... to pick up on those details that I missed. Yeah. That's the thing. It's weird to say that about a movie, that you want to go see a movie again, not to relive the spectacle, but to be able to actually know what the characters are saying. <laughs> Definitely. And that's something that's easily fixable and was a deliberate choice not to do. Yeah, good old – I mean I think we said it even way before Tenet was even in our in our field of view that that's just what Christopher Nolan – loud noises and, and terrible mixing <laughs> – <laughs> but, like, he doesn't, like, it's not that pronounced in Interstellar. There's only really one sequence in Interstellar where it's so loud, the mixing, yeah. that you can't hear the actors. And that's when Jessica Chastain has figured out whatever the hell they're trying to figure out in that movie. Okay. And she has the formula, and she tells Topher Grace. And she, like, throws the paperwork down, and she's talking to him, and she's and he's talking to her. And the sound, this, this, everything is so loud, and the mixing for the the dialogue is turned absolutely down that's really the only time in the entire movie you can't hear dialogue sure yeah Dun yeah. dunkirk it's at least explainable because yeah. like within the context of the movie because it's like oh like christopher or tom hardy is in a plane like and he's trying to talk to his like fellow like pilots and like oh you might not be able to hear it's like it makes sense in the context of the film but, like, there's no reason why when, like, they're having a gunfight that, like, you should – you're not a gunfight. Like, they're just having, like, a stroll down the street and, like, the soundtrack and the ambient sound is dialed up and the dialogue's dialed down. I think, there's I think no one of the best examples in Tenet is after that opening action scene at the opera house when uh, our protagonist is captured and he's trying to eat the cyanide pill. There is no reason the trains need to be louder than everything in the known universe. <laughs> yes. That yeah, uh, I'm uh, with you there. <laughs> other than other than it was a very selfish creative choice. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Did I love it because it was loud? Yes. Did I dislike it because I would like to hear more of the dialogue? Yes. <laughs> exactly. And then to bring one last final point to the masks, um, it drives me nuts the fact that we live in a world where everybody has to wear these goddamn things, and they have to go see a movie where everybody's face is covered. <laughs> see, that's how Christopher Nolan knows he's from the. That's how I know he's from the future. See, mm -hmm. that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. He knew. He knew. All right. Well, is that all you have on Tenet? I think that's all I got. I, I think that's all I got. Okay. I guess, I guess, I guess that's, a, I guess, okay, I have a very particular spin I want to give on the late night movie thing. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so but before we get to our questions, uh, I'll put it in here. Uh, since uh, Justin uh, could not make it, he was planning on being in this main discussion, um, but he has expressed some interest to at least give a little bit of his thoughts. And if he does, I will drop it in here. This is a temporal pincer movement. Rob has the knowledge of what Zach and I just talked about, but Justin does not. And guess who's here with us? It's Justin. Are you here with us? Are you going reverse? Did you go through the turnstile? What the fuck is happening in this movie? Can you tell us, Justin? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yes, I am here. I am here with us, and I am reversed. I am so glad that we get to have your opinion, because earlier in this discussion, or, or I mean, later... Earlier, forward, backwards, who knows? For anybody listening to this audio file, they know that Rob has already described how he saw this movie with Justin. And while Justin could not make the main discussion, he wanted to get him in here, through turnstile or not, to discuss his thoughts. <laughs> and, and there's some 
kind of top-line items. I think, you know, with this temporal pincer movement of a discussion that we're doing in this Cinemodities episode, I'm going to ask Justin some of the top-line items that we had, Zach and I had, about this movie or this episode. So first and foremost, if you can answer it, Justin, do you have a favorite Christopher Nolan movie? Do you know who Christopher Nolan is? Are you aware that you're being recorded right now? <laughs> Do you exist? Oh, gosh, a favorite Christopher Nolan movie? I, I think I have to say, well, Justin, maybe you can think about this. Um, I think the last two or three times I've told Justin that I really like Memento, that's one of my favorite Christopher Nolan movies, his response has been, that was Christopher Nolan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize it was Christopher Nolan. I've also never been able to stay awake through that whole movie, so I've got to give it a watch. I think you said the same thing about, like, The Dark Knight, when I was like, I love The Dark Knight, and you were like, that was Christopher Nolan? Yeah, I, I didn't realize that was Christopher Nolan and either. I'm, uh, th- this, is, this is through text, for so our audience knows. This is me and Justin texting each other, and I'm sitting in my apartment going, who the fuck did he think directed these movies? <laughs> I don't really think about directors a whole lot so so do you just want to we we won't get into full detail but would you like to just say that you suck the dick of interstellar and we move on is that fair i think interstellar is one of my top choices for yeah favorite. yeah that's zach's favorite i hate both of you with a passion forward or backwards time <laughs> inverted or normal inverted don't let me drive normal. a car Yes. So, so with uh, we we started with that. Zach and I started with favorite Christopher Nolan. We did a little talk of Christopher Nolan's uh, filmography, that type of thing. But getting into the more pertinent information, before we get into Tenet in and of itself, we need to talk about the concept. Justin, we went to a movie theater in 2020. We went to the movies and we're alive. Do you feel like you have COVID? I well, don't feel like I have COVID. Yes, we are. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure I said it uh, maybe at the time. Our audience is listening to this an hour and 57 minutes ago. I have no sense of smell. My sinuses <laughs> are destroyed. Zach and I are dying from COVID. Are you in the same boat? Have you died because you uh, went to a theater, Justin? I, I, in, in all seriousness, can you just give us your thoughts on going back to a theater for this movie? Not about this movie yeah. in general, but how did you feel leaving your house to see a movie? It's weird. I mean, just leaving the house in general in COVID, there's always <laughs> that paranoia, which sucks. Because I always like the summertime because I can just leave my house. I don't have to worry about a jacket. I don't have to worry about getting cold. I can just go outside and it's great. Now, I've got to worry about getting COVID and potentially killing someone or dying. So it's always like unsettling and the movies were the same way in that I'm constantly just like trying not to touch stuff, you know, putting on the hand sanitizer. Um, so that was that was just kind of weird, although there were a few things that were awesome about it, namely nobody was there. So there, you know, we didn't have to deal with people. That movie theater we went <laughs> to is normally pretty busy. And oh, yeah. It, you know, there were zero lines. We walked up, got a beer, easy peasy. Um, 
Yeah, we ended up getting a free Can you beer. tell Heather to shut the fuck up unless she wants to come on this recording? I don't want to have to deal. I can't Rob, edit out Rob background noise. I edit you out, so. Um, I'm just imagining Heather is doing a frowny face right now. I'm sorry, Heather. She, she did a frowny face. <laughs> Rob said he's sorry. He imagined you were doing a frowny face. So, so you bring up a good point, Justin, where, um, you know, we showed up a little bit early. Because when when we talk about movies, Zach and I, who are the still, even in this day and age, the, the primary people talking on cinemodities, we used to show up to movies like an hour, hour and a half before. We must have showed up to this movie, what, 20 minutes early? And there was nobody there. Nobody was there. There were no lines. We were the first people in the, uh, the theater. We were. We were. Zach would be proud. <laughs> Uh, Zach is right now, I think for our audience, he's going through a turnstile to make it to Monstober. Um, but, <laughs> but we, we were early, we got our stuff, we made our seats, and I remember saying to you, Justin, if nobody else shows up, this is going to be the greatest movie-going experience of my life. <laughs> yes, that would have been awesome. But somebody but did show did up. people did show up, and we had to wear masks. Well, that's the thing. I, I guess, you know, did you wear a mask, Justin? I was eating popcorn the whole time, so I wasn't required. I, I was wore eating a mask peach for rings like five the whole minutes. time. I made, we, we <laughs> talked about this in the main recording that, you know, I, I had candy on my lap no matter what. So I did, I did not wear a mask at all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were so far from everyone, too. Like, we were really socially distanced. Yeah. If yeah. I was getting up or if people were walking by me, I would have put a mask on. But no, we didn't cross within like ten plus feet of anyone. Yeah, yeah. Zach got into that a little bit with his movie-going experience. I don't want to rehash that stuff. I think you know, um, for for all intents and purposes, uh, Justin and I and Heather went to the movies. Uh, we saw this movie in theaters. That's a huge deal for this day and age. And I think yep. that brings us to the big question, the main question, before we get into any of these little nitty-gritty details and, and topics I want to discuss with you, Justin. I would like to give you the floor. Overall thoughts on Tenet. Justin, please just feel free to unleash on our audience. <laughs> How did you feel about Christopher Nolan's 11th film, Tenet. I thought the movie was great. Hold on. I'm sorry. But, Heather, That is I know. the worst I'm... way to start this. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to... Sorry, Heather's writing me notes on a napkin. Just, Heather let, can, me, Heather just can... let me record. Heather if you can talk be on the podcast, as long as she's not talking while you're talking. If you want to be on the podcast, you can I do will, this. I will take Heather's thoughts. You both know I get to edit He's this later. okay with your thoughts. Okay. Heather wants you to know it felt more safe than the grocery store. Those are Heather's thoughts. I don't. I will. Can, can Heather say that to the microphone? Because I'm not. Okay, Heather, I, I'm not going to. I'm, I'm literally not going audience. to edit that into. It felt more safe than going to the grocery store. Okay. All right. Oh God, She's this, good. This now. episode she can go comes out the... in fucking seven hours, and I have so much <laughs> editing to do based on twenty minutes of talking to you. <laughs> Just cut out like the last thirty seconds. You know? So, Justin, okay. All right. What thoughts do you have overall? I'm talking anything. I'm talking you just one-sided rant about Tenet. What did you think? That's what we're listening for. Overall, I thought the movie was great and it was a lot of fun watching. They, I love time travel, period. I always love time travel. I pretty much like anything 
movie, any movie, any TV show involving time travel, unless it sucks. So you've got to try really hard to mess up time travel in my book. But Nolan went above and beyond with this whole inverted idea because it was completely new. Like he took time travel. Um, he did all the usual tropes about, you know, it was us all along. Um, you know, you can't change the past. What about paradox, grandfather's paradox, all of that stuff. He did it. But simply by introducing the idea of inverting time and going backwards while everything else is going forwards, he just really found a way to just refresh and spice up um, just the time travel genre. So I thought that was fun and super intriguing the whole movie. It was also confusing as hell. This movie was so hard to follow because time travel is – Can I just – can I just interject, Justin? I love yeah, yeah. everything you just said because your opinion is what we're looking for. I I, I want our audience to know, you know, like Rob, uh, Zach, and Justin have never had any discussion together. I, I am the mediator between these two. That take that you just had is fantastic, but I have to say, I think we share a very similar sentiment about one portion of the movie that I talked about a lot in the discussion leading up to this between Rob and Zach. And this is why we get to do this, because Rob and Zach and Justin are all in turnstiles. We're going forward, backwards. Who knows what the fuck is happening this episode of Cinemodities. <laughs> After the car chase in Tenet, when they right. go to the docks and they have the people on those fucking two-way mirrors... I guess, Justin, the way I want to oh, phrase it, the first you, time they get into the turnstile room. Is, is there any way, shape, or form for a human to understand what is going on in that scene? <laughs> Not on a first watch. Not on a first watch. Thank you. That's what I'm looking for. We Dude, are oh my God. fucked Not in the as moment. people. <laughs> Christopher Nolan it intentionally disorients the viewer. And he was... The ambition behind this movie, the fact that he fits so much conceptually into one movie is legitimately impressive. And he did it well. Fair. You know, the, the execution was fantastic. But yeah, no, there were so many things that oh my God. are just ridiculously hard to follow in this movie. And I, tr I tried really hard. I'm like, okay, you know, t time travel, shit's moving backwards. This guy's moving forward. He's moving backwards, which is why this is happening. But, bro, he does not stop just layering it on and just adding more and more in every goddamn scene. So as soon as you think you get it, you're like, all right, bullets can go backwards. Easy. They go back into the gun. No problem. I'm, I'm with you, you know, and then it's, you know, some normal investigative work for a bit in the movie. And it's like, OK, cool, cool. Yeah, I'm tracking. You know, I can't understand half the words you're saying because your accent's so thick and this movie's so goddamn loud. But – you know, for the most part, I'm following, I'm following. And then he's just like, nah, you're done. Now everything can move backwards. Who's moving backwards? Who's moving forwards? Crazy car chases. Oh, God, it's insane. You watch every scene like twice. There hits a point in the movie where you just start rewatching scenes that you've already seen because it's like, guess what? Somebody's going backwards now and you're watching it from their perspective. It was crazy. It was crazy. It was a lot of fun, really intriguing, but also just completely batshit crazy and super hard to follow. <laughs> Dude! I never hit a point where I was like, I understand the backwards shit. Like, I just never 
was just okay that's inverted so what i'm seeing makes sense it just literally by the end of the movie it made less sense because they just have a i'm sure you talked about it but they just have this huge battle where there's squads that are inverted and people are you know fighting and cooperating with their inverted cells and it's just a friggin' huge war scene and it, there's no following that there's literally no following not to mention the strategy behind what they're doing and why they're doing it. And then they'll have like these intense discussions while someone in the scene is inverted, like picking a lock and there's crazy dialogue with just, it's overwhelming the amount of visual content and just the amount of dialogue that that's happening at the same time. I mean, it was awesome. I want to watch it like five times so I can, feel like I actually understand everything, but that's what it's going to take multiple views easily. So yeah, I loved it. It was a great time. Very disorienting. So Justin, you mentioned it in that uh, diatribe you just gave about the movie, which was greatly appreciated. What were your thoughts? Because I know I talked about it in reference to Zach. Zach saw it in IMAX. We did not. We saw it together, sitting literally next to each other. What were your thoughts on the sound mixing, the sound editing, the dialogue versus noise, all that stuff? Dude, I don't think I've ever seen a louder movie. I don't think I've ever seen a movie that even comes close to being as loud as this goddamn movie. I don't know if the the people operating the theater just made a mistake and turned the dial up a bit too high <laughs> or if that was intentional. <laughs> Heather was literally covering her ears, and I was close to doing the same at parts of this movie. And Heather even said it. She's like, "That there's a scene where there's a railroad that drives uh, yeah. a rail car yeah. goes, and oh my god, it's actually louder than an actual train." Okay. And okay. the action was impeccable. I mean, I loved the action scenes in this movie. They were, you know, high budget, crashing planes, crashing cars, you know. Large-scale battles, buildings crumbling. Nice. Man, as for for the action category, this, this gets a big check plus because it, it is an excellent action movie. Okay, so Justin on is coming – top of being so conceptually intriguing, Justin the action's is, on point. Justin is coming from where I am coming from in our main discussion that I think that the, the action, the visuals is the main point of this movie. Um, yep. And uh, and I think that that it succeeds in that extent. So absolutely for for some deeper thoughts or maybe some more intrinsic details about this movie. Um, there are two things I'd like to bring up to you, Justin, that Zach brought up. Um, one of them, which I'm, I'm really interested to get your thought on, is that Zach made an interesting comparison because, of course, don't forget, everybody, this is a temporal pincer movement. I got the knowledge podcast that Justin style. doesn't have. Yes, temporal temporal podcast movement right here. <laughs> Zach made an interesting comparison between Tenet and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Because immediately, oh. think about the fact that both of these movies are the most recent films from the possibly only two directors we have left in Hollywood that are held in high esteem. Christopher Nolan and Quentin Tarantino. We've seen now both of these movies in theaters, Tenet and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. These are the most recent films from high-esteemed directors, Christopher Nolan with Tenet 
and Quentin Tarantino with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Do you have any comparisons or any thoughts on which one you like more or like better? Or do you think that they are incomparable? This was a big part of Zach and I's discussion on the concept of, well, once a director has enough clout, whether it be Tarantino, a lot longer, or Christopher Nolan, you know, since the, the break of the 2000s, they both have that standing. How do you feel about two films from these directors that we've now seen in theaters? Do you think that there's a difference between a giant war battle at the end of Tenet or a fat Leonardo DiCaprio saying, if you want to smoke weed in a dark road, fix your fucking muffler at the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I thought they were so similar. I'm probably going to be confusing scenes from the two. Oh, nice. Nice. I like that take. Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio. Right, right. Yeah, he was in Tenet. People are going to be like, no, no, he wasn't, Justin. I'd be like, oh, but Brad Pitt was, right? He's the one who tripped the device when they were going to the algorithm <laughs> at the end. And it's like, no, he was he was just making margaritas for the last 20 minutes of that movie. <laughs> Robert Pattinson, he was, a, uh, he was a stunt actor, right? In Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. No, Justin, that was Brad Pitt. Oh, <laughs> fuck, right, right. Robert Pattinson fought, fought Bruce Lee in the middle of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but in all honesty, um, with, with that idea now being presented to you, what do you think about, you know, I think this is a big concept that we need to talk about at this day and age, especially with how frequent, infrequently, I should say, movies come to theaters, big directors with big movies, and we've seen both of them in theaters. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, one, I was able to stay awake during both of them, which is big kudos, because... I mean, we all know it's really hard to stay awake during a movie, so props to both of them. I think it's really interesting, the idea of can can you compare these and how can you compare them? Because they're so friggin' different. I mean, sure, that there's some action in both of them, so that's a similarity. And I I think they both did fight scenes really well, but but they approach them from completely different angles. Yes. And what they're doing in these films is night and day. I think they both execute what they were trying to do fantastically. Well, I, I have to ask you, because, of course, we saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood first. That was the, the movie that came out prior to Tenet. Mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the ending of it is revisionist history. It is, it is saying, oh. what if the Manson murderers did not attack Sharon Tate's house? What if they attacked right. Leonardo DiCaprio's house, whatever character he was? While he's tripping on acid. Exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but the but the comparison becomes, as I start to think that these are different, I kind of think that they are the same. Because if you describe Tenet with a phrase, wouldn't it be revisionist history, but in the short term? Aren't our main characters trying to change the path of time? No, because what's happened happened, Rob. They are just doing their destiny and fulfilling it. The main character wants to change. I think some that Robert things. Pattinson says otherwise in the end. He says what happened happened is a fantastical idea of saying that, you know, we need to just be along with the universe's touches. And the main character says, Well, what do you mean by fate? And he says, Reality. I think 
I think this leads us into our next question, and I hate to bleed these two questions into each other, but Justin, do you think there was a message to Tenet? Do you think there was something the audience should gain from this unique version of time travel? Do you think that there was a message to take? And let me put this in perspective. In, in terms of the Christopher Nolan movies everybody knows and love, loves, let's talk about Dark Knight. The whole concept of Dark Knight is the faith in humanity. Can we believe in humanity to do the right thing? We move to Inception, and the entire idea of Inception is can we make people do things by our own will without theirs? And then we moved Interstellar, a movie that everybody knows I absolutely despise, but that movie is getting at the topic of can love transcend space and time? And then we move to Tenet. Is there a message to Tenet? Is there something that audiences can gain and learn from watching this fixed point time travel movie? And I'm not I'm not trying to say this to you, Justin, in this turnstile discussion we're having about whether or not I'm I think this is yay or nay. I want to get your opinion. Do you think that there is a message to Tenet tying in directly to how does this compare to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, if that makes sense? Well, that's really hard because I think Tenet, it really stimulates your brain in the sense that it it makes you think and it it provides so much food for thought. Well, does it stimulate your brain in concept or in theoreticism? Because, yes, the concept is stimulating that we are dealing with a unique form of time travel that deals with fixed points. That is – As far as I'm concerned, that has never been done. When time travel happens, it's we can go back, do whatever the fuck we want. But this is fixed point time travel. That is interesting. But beyond that, beyond a plot concept, is there anything this movie is saying? Did you learn anything from this movie? Uh, No, I I don't think I did. You know, like I said, it's mentally stimulating, but... You know, it's kind of classic, like, don't try and end the world shit. You know, classic action movie shit. I I agree with you. I want to push back a little bit on, you said it was mentally stimulating. Are you sure that you're not, are you confusing that with visually stimulating? No, because I'm just thinking so hard about the idea of going back in time and how that works. Like, well, if this car's going back in time and it hits this car, then does that mean there should be a chip in the rear view mirror. And then at the end we find out, um, you know, the main character had set up the entire events of the whole movie and he's kind of been running the show. And so then I'm thinking about, wait, so this guy had to go back in time to years before the events of the movie, which means he had to be going reverse for like five years. What did he do for five years in reverse? That to me is like mentally intriguing. Would you say that this movie sets up temporal questions that don't have answers but are interesting to think about? Yeah, and that's what all time travel movies do, which is why I like them. Because they are so intriguing to think about. I'm glad you say that because I think that was a big thing that Zach and I discussed is that that is where – My divide comes from Zach's thoughts is that this is 
even though it's time travel in a unique way, and I want to get your opinion on This is why I'm explaining. I want to get your opinion on it, Justin. I think this is time travel in a unique way that is goofy enough for me to love it, where Zack thinks it is time travel in a unique way that is saying fuck you to the audience. No, I, I, I loved it. I, I thought it was really interesting. You okay. know, time travel never makes sense. It right? can't. You, it can't it make can. sense. I mean, you know, we could have an argument that could time travel happen. And that's why there's, you know, various kinds of time travel throughout yes. media. Yep. Right? You can change the past. You can't change the past. Parallel universe type ideas. Grandfather um, paradox as we get Grandfather this movie. paradox. Yep. And so movies just, you know, every universe with a time travel um, possibility just sets up the rules and then it has to follow those. Does it make sense for our world? Well, we don't know because we can't time travel. So we don't know what it'd look like, you know, and and just thinking about the fourth dimension is always fun, right? Because, Oh, I can move anywhere I want in the first, second, third dimension, you know, X, Y, Z easy, no problem. But the fourth dimension is fixed and it only moves in one direction as far as we know. Mm-hmm. So the comps, the concept of navigating the fourth dimension differently is just really interesting how that works. But we don't know if it's possible, right? It, yes. From our current understanding of physics and the universe, we don't know if there is any way to navigate it differently. And if you could, what that would look like. Yeah, fuck you, Rob. <laughs> can can I just say, Heather, uh, before we saw this movie, Heather and I cooked up a goddamn feast. Oh my god, it was so good. We had leftovers for days. Dude, that fucking leftover. Okay, so we made chicken cordon bleu. Which I think it got better the longer it sat in its own juices. Dude, I love that shit. You gave me three. Heather left me with fucking weird bags of food after this movie. (laughs) We ran out of Tupperware. I don't know what the fuck happened to all my Tupperware. And so I just sent Rob home with like... Ziploc baggies full of like mashed potatoes. It was so disgusting looking. Heather and I made chicken cordon bleu, mashed potatoes, asparagus with a lemon butter sauce, and acorn squash. Oh my god, it was so fucking good. And then we saw Tenet and our eardrums got damaged. <laughs> yes, they did. So they so did get damaged. I think I think Heather, overall, thoughts on Tenet. What did you think? About one, seeing a movie in theaters, and two, this movie. Okay, can we... For some reason, I just want to skip to two. So the movie, (laughs) I just want to go, like, behind the scenes and really figure out how the fuck they filmed it. Mm. Like, did they teach people how to walk backwards, or did they somehow overlay the movie? Like, overlay the film? Like, how many green screens were involved? I have no idea, but... That's like the most fascinating part about the entire movie was how they were able to film it and piece it all together. It was really cool. And like even the the sound and stuff too. Like, yeah, there were some sound bites that were, I couldn't tell if they were being played backwards or just multiple ones being played over each other. Um, But I would really like them to do like an entire, like an hour long show about behind the scenes of filming this movie. Nice. Nice. Justin says there will be, but we'll see. 
You have a great podcast voice, Heather. I think I've told you this before. Thank you. It's perfectly raspy from all the dabs I've been doing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Zach and I did like two hours and 20 minutes, and now I think we're going on an hour. I don't (laughs) know. <laughs> this is gonna be amazing. This is gonna be amazing. so. So with with the with that being said, I think the last thing I would like to ask you while I have you here, Heather, is um, do you think this message? Do you, sorry, do you think this movie had a message? Did you gain something from this movie? Did you feel anything, or did you think it was just spectacle? I think he was just purposefully trying to mind fuck you in like a super serious kind of jokingly way. Okay. Good. Does that make sense? Like, it was completely, yeah. like, he was being serious, but also the whole idea in of itself was kind of, you know, sarcastic because it's all hypothetical. Um, but he was trying to be super serious about it. And Denzel Washington's son was amazing as the lead. Nice, nice. Yes. Good, good answer. Good answer. So I am going to edit out everything Justin said and just put you in. <laughs> And we're going to be good. <laughs> we all know that I'm filled with the quality content. Not uh, just so, so on the same topic, something that will definitely get edited out. Have, Heather, have you used those peppers I gave you yet? <laughs> all right. So with that all being said, we can get to our questions. And we'll start with Cinemodities and Late Night. I know, Zach, you said you have a pretty specific spin on Late Night. I think that mine – I don't really have too much to say about this. Uh, I think – you know, uh, you can clarify, of course, but we've been saying I find this as a definite cinemodities. I think for every reason we've discussed, I've never seen anything quite like it. So visually engaging, but so absolutely goofy and and <laughs> scientifically immature is probably a way to put it. I think this is a cinemodities movie, and uh, we'll have to talk about that kitchen scene when we get to our snacks for sure. Yes. Um, as far as late night for me, I was kind of torn. I I think this is like the Omega level know your audience because once this movie makes its rounds, like I could definitely see putting this on a late night movie because someone is like, oh yeah, I want to see it, Christopher Nolan. Once this movie has made its rounds and people have seen it, if you haven't seen this, I think that there's a lot of people who will just check out from this movie fairly quickly. Once Science Lady starts dumping stuff on us, <laughs> like, if you're not into that, you're not going to sit through another two two hours, 15 minutes, I think. So so I'm going to know your audience on late night. Um, also, I don't know how I feel about... I have said in the past that, you know, sometimes, you know, late night movies you can, like, put on and, like, start to fall asleep to. Like, it'll wind the night down. This is one of those things that you might fall asleep and then you might wake up in a cold sweat because some noise was so loud that you thought a bomb went off. <laughs> like you might think someone's breaking into your into your place. You might wake up to Kenneth Branagh spraying you saliva. <laughs> yes, exactly. So so that that's what I'm going with. So Zach, uh, for the first time in a long time, what are your thoughts on Cinemodities in Late Night? Um, I think you phrased it perfectly. I this is a I want in the spreadsheet as quote a cinemodities movie. Perfect. End quote. A ca- with a capital C. Because this truly is like, even as I was watching it, the idea of going backwards and forwards, considering that's been a, a focal point of the podcast since its inception, yeah. or the pun. Um, you have uh, without a doubt that alone gets it in there. Never mind all the Vernon Chapman, Christopher Nolan, Rob and Zach nonsense about it, inversion, in, in all that. That alone gets it in there. Um, yeah, it's a cinematic movie. It truly is. Um, and then you have my own personal reasons, kind of a little bit different from Rob's, where I think it's a film that's either made with 
apathy or extreme cynicism. Mm-hmm. Um, as for late night movie, I I disagree with Rob. I don't think this film is going to make the rounds because of the times that we're living in. Okay. I think this film is going to be because it's not a widely accessible film. It's not an Avengers Endgame. I think it's it's going to be a cult classic. I think there's going to be a very. I, I don't think people are going to latch on to this movie the same way they latched on to Inception. Um, I think at best it'll be in the same realm as like an Interstellar, but I don't think it's as accessible to normies as an Interstellar. So I think it's always going to be the weird like time reversal movie. Okay. So I'm I'm I think it's going to be more cult classic. I don't think this is going to be anything widespread. Sure. But my spin on late night movie. Is that considering that we're living in very unique times, this is my take on it, I'm going to ask the audience, considering that there are people out there that are buying into this whole nonsense about this being the end of the world, that if you leave your house, you're going to die, would you leave the house for this movie? Mm. Rob and I left the house for this movie. I saw it. You saw it at night, right, Rob? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a 7 p.m. showing for for me. So, yeah. So, like, we both saw it as a late-night movie. So I think I think by that alone it makes it a late night movie. On home video, I don't know. Uh, I I think this would get people enamored. I I think you're. It's not a boring movie. Um, it's it, there's too much loud for it to be a boring movie. Yeah. So yeah, I think it works as a late night movie. There's too much confusion for it to be a boring movie. That's what I mean. I don't. I I think in Rob and I have gone back numerous times with the idea of like re, like a late night movie being a repeat viewing. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I think the whole idea of late of cinematis and the late night viewing experience is to expose someone to something late night showing should never be rewatching something with somebody fair, fair. So I think if both people have seen this movie, it would disqualify it, but not because of the movie itself, but more just because of the premise in the uh, framework that I've at least laid out. Whether yeah, Rob agrees yeah. with that, I don't know, but yeah, I, I think if someone had never seen this and you put it on one night, I don't think this would. I don't think this is a know your audience. I think it could work. Okay, okay, that's because it's I weird. Where you're it's weird. From. It's weird. And if you really want to throw them for a loop, tell them there's no closed captioning. <laughs> Turn the bass down. It's already down. <laughs> Why do my eardrums hurt? That's the point. <laughs> At one point, I'm pretty sure I could feel my teeth rattling in my skull. <laughs> I'm not joking. Like, like I, I felt my glasses like just like 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 this rumbling. I'm like, this this isn't real life, is it? <laughs> oh God, that's good. That's good. All right. So with that out of the way, that brings us to the restaurant, the snacks. So oh yeah, so I, I I was definitely you know trying to think of snacks for this, and I and I do have one. It's not really a, a snack or a food item, um, but but a more of a an addition, an addition to the restaurant, but something um, that we can incorporate with our employees and customer relationship. But I, I kind of, you know, I was sitting down and I was thinking, like, you know, how do we involve this movie with the restaurant? How do we get our snacks? Um, and of course, the first thing that comes to mind is how do cheese we cheese grater? Uh, well, that that's the one that I'm actually works and I'm going to add to the restaurant. But I was thinking of how do we get inversion involved in the restaurant? And as I started to think about this. I got this weird, just like in this movie, this instinctual feeling about the future. I I don't know why yet. I can't really nail it down, but I have some gut instinctual feeling that if we involve inversion in the restaurant, this will lead to the cataclysmic implosion of Cinemodity's restaurant. I don't know why. For some reason, I am timid on the idea 
of inverting or adding any element of inversion to the restaurant. For some reason, I think this is going to cause the universe to end, if you know what I mean. What are your thoughts on that, Zach? The idea of inversion causing the restaurant to collapse in on itself? Yes. Do you think that that could happen? Or do you have the similar feeling? Or are you just like gung-ho, we're going to invert this? We're going to put a turnstile right at the fucking entrance. (laughs) (laughs) I think it explains how we're able to fund the restaurant. Mm, okay. we're, we're sending gold bars to ourselves <laughs> and it explains everything it's kind of like the word processor of the gods when Zach fully turns into Christopher Nolan he's taking all his riches and sending them back in time to the scene yes. of these restaurants to, to the, to one of the revolving doors is going to be in the uh, Mars 2112 space in Times Square oh man so so yeah I, uh, I guess that's my that was my feeling but I guess that's also my long winded way of saying that I don't have any good snacks relating to or involving inversion, which, I mean, I was trying to think of, but nothing really hit the nail on the head for me. You know, like the one that, I guess the one that came closest, I was definitely thinking of, you know, what if we Cheese grater. uh, Well, the cheese, I'm getting to the cheese (laughs) grater, Zach. There's no inversion in the cheese grater for me. But, But I was thinking of something like if we could find a way to basically, like, you know, invert foods so a customer would order a food and then they would never get it delivered to them. They would just throw it up and get it taken away from them. <laughs> that was the thing I was trying to formulate, but I was like, even that, you know, because it, it would give the customer a negative experience. You know, we would basically force them to throw up a food they hadn't eaten. And uh, but nothing really came together. So I don't know. I'm like I said, I'm timid on the idea of inversion. Do you want to hear my cheese grater thing now? Zach? Mm. <laughs> so the cheese yes. grater in, in tenant, the cheese grater does not get inverted. There is no point at which the cheese crater is inverted. So I wasn't even thinking of those two. In the movie, though, when our main character is fighting through a kitchen, he attacks somebody with a cheese grater. He attacks one of Sator's uh, (laughs) goons with a cheese grater, which is a great moment. I think that, you know, Justin and I were chuckling about that for sure because it's it's so goofy and it's, it's just a little action piece. So my thought was whenever we have customers that get so angry that they like want to assault or attempt to assault our employees we have them we have like our employees equipped with a cheese grater just like the jizzles that they can fight the customers off with <laughs> and it's like it's kind of like their their protection you know that's how i was thinking we want to train maybe not train to keep it a full cinematic form we just give our employees cheese graters to basically like use as you know weapons or brass it's knuckle part of type the of things. It's part of the uniform. Yeah, yeah, like it's on a carabiner or something on their belt, and they can just kind of <laughs> you know zip it all, like zip it away from their waist and slash somebody in the face and say you know get back vile customer. <laughs> <laughs> so that, but those uh. are only my my two things. I, I was so hung up on inversion, and and I feel that you know I might be calling it right now. That when Cinemodities comes to a full end, like, you know, when Zach and Rob are both gone, it's because we have inverted the restaurant into a different dimension. <laughs> mm, what, did yeah. you think? what did you think for snacks in the restaurant? Oh, there's I, I completely I completely forgot about a bunch of the there was more stuff that made this even, even more Cinemodities oriented to make it even <laughs> further a Cinemodities movie. We forget that, that there's a scene in a restaurant with Michael Caine. Oh, and he yes. orders a meal. Remember that? And like the Mater D is like really like like almost like oh god, goofishly like cartoony. Yeah, it's like I, like talking down to our main character. Then like Michael Caine's like eating his thing, and it's like 
what is going on? And then uh, you're right. I totally forgot when, because the protagonist is like, I'll have the same order that he's having. And the major D's like, I'll bring a menu. And he goes, no, just, I'll get the waiter. And he goes, no, just relay the order. And then when they're done, the order comes out. And he's like, can you box that up for me? And he goes, absolutely not. <laughs> that's that's what I, okay, that was the first thing. I'm like, oh, that's a perfect idea for the Cinemati's restaurant. That is good. We, we don't let people box out their food. So like, we're like, people say, can I get a box for that? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. I dig it. I dig it. And then the other one is that we have the Kenneth Branagh dinner party. Oh, yes. Yes. The uh, the it, Bond villain introduction moment. <laughs> yes. And we have a part where Kenneth Branagh gets mad and tells John David Washington that we're going to sit there, uh, slit your throat, cut your balls off, and stuff them into your throat and watch you suffocate oh on your God. balls. Oh, my God. How could I forget? about that moment that was oh i'm pretty sure there's a line from sator where he's like do you know how satisfying it is to watch one of your enemies choke on their balls and then i think he even says something like it's so satisfying to watch a man try to remove his own balls from his throat as he dies mr sator don't bother just tell me if you've slept with my wife yet uh no not yet. <laughs> How would you like to die? Old. You chose the wrong profession. There's a walled garden up the road. We're going to take you there, cut your throat. Not across in the middle like a hole. Then we take your balls and we stuff them in the cut, block the windpipe. Complex. It's very gratifying to watch a man you don't like. Try to pull his own balls out of his throat before he chokes. This is how you treat all your guests. We're finished. It is something really fucking goofy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so what? I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry to think now that Christopher Nolan. This is this is cynicism on his part because I can't <laughs> imagine this in that line of dialogue in any other one of his movies. And even I think that's the same scene before the ball cutting off thing where he's like, "Tell me, Mister Protagonist, Mister No Name." Have you slept with my? How many times have you slept yes. with my? Or have you slept with my wife? Not yet. And it's just like, oh my god, <laughs> she hasn't lathered it. me down with sunscreen yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, this movie, this movie's this movie's a mess. Like so, it really. Oh, is. It, oh yeah, and it's 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 ridiculous. And is it a delightful mess? I I kind of think it is. I. I, I've come to that after, on like this this past five days since seeing it. I've I've come to find delight in it. I let guess is a good me, way to put let it. Let me phrase that. Not delightful mess. That's too high of praise. A pleasurable mess. Mm, I would say so. I would say it's pleasurable. A pleasurable mess. Yes. That's, that's going to be my tagline on the poster. A pleasurable mess. Yes. In a movie that will uh, damage your eardrums. Oh, yeah. Make you watch awkward scenes of domestic violence. <laughs> it's a pleasurable mess. <sighs> It gives us a new form. It, it's the it's it's the bougie version of the nail through the two by four <laughs> cufflinks in the belt. So so uh, just just when you said the um the uh, the Sator dinner party. So are we going to serve like cut off balls at the dinner party? I don't know. But there should be some some level of experience at the restaurant. Okay. Somebody okay. somebody's getting their balls cut off and their in their neck slit. Whether it's a person animatronic, I don't know. <laughs> that has to happen at some point. 
That's all I'm gonna say. Oh my god, how 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 could I forget about that line? You are absolutely right. <laughs> that is perfect. <laughs> now, I think there should be some other dish too, because at one point before we get the cheese grater, we get the meat tenderizer on the cutting board. Yeah. I think I think we should have like some sort of dish at the restaurant, like something something called fingers, where it's like I don't know, some sort of appetizer, and they're like, oh, like it's something that sounds normal, but we call it that. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, I'll have that. And what we do is we get like the waiter to come out with another waiter and be like, okay, we're gonna make it for you they take the meat tenderizer and you start smashing somebody's hand okay i like that i like that you got to pulverize the bone so you can (laughs) consume it (laughs) and you make the flesh you make the meat tender at that point too yeah okay i like it i like it so like um i don't know like when when you said you know we'll have the waiter come out with somebody else i don't know i I think i think it might be interesting instead of actually maybe (laughs) our employees maybe (laughs) it could be like maybe it's like a faux hand and that's how we do it. I don't know, there might be some sort of sleight of hand involved here, pardon the pun. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't figured it out though. But I realized again, there's a, the more I think about it, this really is a cinema of these movie between all the the kitchen stuff, the restaurant stuff, the goofiness of the plot devices, the time travel. This might be truly the uh, – we might have to go back to our what makes a cinemati a cinemati or like <laughs> – and this might be it but for a completely different reason than Book of Henry is. Yeah, this this might have, have created like a whole new uh, subcategory. <laughs> it's as if Christopher Nolan listens to this podcast or he, or he recorded this podcast in his youth and would later go on the direct Hollywood feature film. Yes, exactly. We have no idea. It's like we've been saying a long time. We live in a time vortex. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and there's no friends at dusk. Nope. <laughs> oh, God. And lying is standard operating seizure. Oh, jeez. So I uh, I uh, think that uh, we know, Zach and I know, how we're going to end this episode. I don't think we should say it. We should just let the audience hear it. Exactly. It's going to be perfect. But any last thoughts, Zach, on uh, on, on Tenet, on cinemodities, on uh, on your return? Are you going back into the turnstile and we won't hear from you again for a while? I think that's I, the case. I am going back into the turnstile for uh, Monstober 2020. Okay. I actually, I'm currently in Mon- – we're actually recording Monstober 2020 right now. I went into the turnstile <laughs> into the past to record this episode. Now I'm going back. It, it It's, it's- – it is this. It's the Cinemodities movie. You're so right. It is. It is the Cinemodities <laughs> movie. I literally described what we're doing within the context of, of this movie's terminology. It made perfect sense. It is absolutely baffling. Well, <laughs> un, until until the past, Zach, for you until the and past. me, but for our audience until the future. <laughs> God, I can't even. I don't even know how it's to insane. end. It's, it's insane. <laughs> Are we? Let's see if I can get it right. Cinemodies, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, normal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Sometimes these pro- projects gel, sometimes they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. 
Okay. I, I, let's, see, let's see if I can do it. It's that was not, very it. close. That was very close. Oh, what did I get wrong? What did I get wrong? Uh, you said uh, I, there was – you said sometimes these projects gel. It's occasionally these projects oh. gel. <laughs> okay. Occasionally these projects gel. Sometimes they crash hard into their own – okay. Oh, whatever. I'll figure it out. I'm rusty. I'm allowed to be rusty. <laughs> Uh, okay, let me start recording. Make sure it's going. Are you super duper ultra recording? I. Th- it looks like I am. Whoop. It looks like I am, and then and now with the with the two channels, like I can just scream while you're talking and edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> Zach's back. Okay, so uh, so yeah, if you do the intro, I'll do my thing, and then um. I get. I guess I want to go with the. Um, you know, we live in a time vortex world. That's fine. That's <laughs> however you want to do, Rob. I'm not here to police you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. This is this is a super duper like ultra special occasion episode for for a new movie. This never happens anymore. <laughs> I know. All right. Uh, are we Market District Pepper Turkey Breast? I I believe we are Market District Pepper Turkey Breast. Sweet.